banks are supposed to be the safest placeholders for cash in the world. But in 2022, that changed. The Federal Reserve pulled out $2.5 trillion of liquidity out of the banks. And the Fed also changed the requirements so banks don't need to keep any funds on hand. This means banks are starved for liquidity and have now become very dangerous places to hold your assets. Get out of the system with the world's safest and most private assets, silver and gold. Call Kirk Elliott, Ph.D. at 720-605-3900. Be sure to tell him Pete Santilli sent you. Trav Locals, LFA, and all of our Rumble friends. Uh, thanks for joining this Market Ultra transmission on January 23rd, uh, 2024. Um, we have overnight headlines in Asia. China mauls a new rescue package for their stock market. 2 trillion yuan or 278 billion US dollar equivalent package. Uh, they sure don't believe in free market capitalism over there, do they? Um, in Japan, the Bank of Japan left rates unchanged. Lots of discussion that they could be raising rates in 2024, but still no action. In the Middle East, uh, not, not too much in Europe overnight. Uh, in the Middle East, we continue to see pressure on the Red Sea. It isolated Israel doubles down on the war in Gaza at all costs. So that continues. Um, back in the land of the home of the free and the partially still brave, today we have um, the I believe today is the New Hampshire primaries, right? I think we're getting really close to that. We saw uh, Ron DeSantis drop out yesterday. So that leaves Donald Trump and Nikki Haley as the two Republican, two on the Republican side. We hear rumblings on the Democratic side of trying to slide someone in. At some point down the road here, um, uh, uh, there's talk of Michelle Obama, there's talk of others, but we'll see what happens there. Uh, it continues to build, continues to be interesting. It's gonna be an interesting 2024. The, let's go ahead and take a look at our economic data. We're going to jump over to that. Um, I'm sorry there. Okay, so economic data. Today we get the, pull this up. There we go. So again, like I said, we had, last night we had Bank of Japan, monetary policy statement. Um, again, not much going on there. Talk of it coming in 2024. They just continue to mull this around. There's no real progress. Japan's a focus point for me because uh, there's a lot of weakness there. They've had negative interest rates for a very, very long time. Uh, they need to work themselves out of that situation. It just continues to crush their banking system uh, because with negative yields, obviously the banks have a very hard time making money. The world's basically ripped Japan off and ripped off the carry trade to so the carry trade because interest rates are so low in japan what people do is they go over to japan they borrow their money and they take it to some place that has a lot of high return and then they invest it there right so they get the, the carry trade from borrowing in japan for free or minus and then they take it somewhere else where they can get 17 18 like emerging markets they might get a 12 15 percent yield so that's what they've been doing for 20 to 25 years that trade is starting to come to an end it, Japan starts to raise rates, but it still hangs in there. Um, let's see here. Uh, and then on, let me dial in here. 
let's see, let me flip over to Tuesday. Anyway, on Tuesday we have um, the, here we go, U.S. Richmond Manufacturing Index. Minus seven is the expectation. Um, and let's just dive into what that means, right? So it's a survey of about 55 manufacturers in the Richmond area, which asks respondents to rate the relative level of business conditions, including shipments on new orders, employment, things like that. Above zero reading indicates an improving condition, improving uh, economic conditions. Below zero indicates worsening conditions. We're expected at minus, point, minus seven is the expectations. So we'll see what happens with that today. This will go along with the Empire State that we saw last week that was so negative. So we got it. we're keeping a close eye on this one. And then the rest of this week, uh, if we flip over the rest of this week, we've got, there we go. So the rest of this week we've got um, on, I'm having a little hard time here pulling this up. There we go. Okay. So the rest of this week, we have Wednesday. We're going to have a lot of data coming out of Europe. We have PMI data coming out of Europe, the U.S. Um, and then we'll have Canada uh, policy statement comes out again. So they're going to, so Japan had a rate decision last night. Canada had a rate decision on Wednesday. And then on Thursday, we're going to get, Europe's going to have a policy statement. So they're going to come out and decide whether they're going to start hinting. They're not going to cut rates, but they're, they're going to start hinting that they're going to be cutting rates, right? So that's kind of the big thing we're watching out of Europe. It's a, kind of a big deal. That's what this World Economic Forum has been a lot about is, you know, what's the status of Europe? Obviously, it's located in Europe, but can Europe, can Europe continue to have, can they continue this, this stance of higher interest rates, right? Their economy is weakening all over the place. That's what we're gonna see with the flash manufacturing PMI tomorrow. So we'll get a better indication. And all these data points, again, the markets are a weighing machine, right? So, um, so what happens is, there we go. So the markets are a weighing machine. So they take all this data in, right? And then ultimately they weigh it all out, right? And then, it's the culmination of all that input that, that leads to these rate decisions, right? And you know, that's if we assume that everything's above board, right? Which I don't always assume. Um, so, but, but that's what we're looking for, right? We're looking for that out of Europe. We're looking for the Bank of Canada rate decision, Japanese rate decision this week. Those are our big data points. And then as we wrap up the week, we have uh, core PCE. That'll be a big one for the US. So. With that, I'd like to jump over and take a look at some markets here. We've had some interesting things going on. Uh, I'm going to flip over to, let's take a look at the stock market, right? We'll look at the NASDAQ first. Actually, let me flip over. Let's take a look at the S&P, right? That's the one we've been looking at every day. Back here was our breakout level um, all the way back in this period in time. This was, uh, so this, back where this purple dot is, that's, November, right? So that's end of November, right back in here, okay? So we have this breakout signal. We went out, we got above the halfway. You can see we tested it against these pink dots, one, two, three, four, five, six times. This last one was the winner, right? It's the one that propelled the S&P higher. And now we're sitting at the seven eights right here, right? This 4,880 level for the S&P, basically right in this zone here. This is our target up in here. Right, so that's where we, that would complete the harmonic on this S and P 500. Okay, so let's go and jump over to the to the Dow. Okay, similar situation. This was our breakout zone way back in here, the end of 
November. Okay, you know, we, we came up here, same kind of a situation. We we got above the halfway harmonic, this dark green line, came back, we tested it one time, two times. And then right here we had a, a cluster of them, two, th three, four, five, six times, and then off to the races. Okay, all the way up exactly, well, not exactly, but very close to the seven-eighths harmonic. Still not to target, right there is target. Um, I'll remove that. So that would be target somewhere out in here. We'll see if it can get there. But basically the Dow and the S&P are in a very similar stance. Let's take a look at the NASDAQ, right? The NASDAQ has completed its target, right? It, here it is, right? So we can get rid of that. NASDAQ's completed up here, it hit its target, and so now we're going to lean against that level, okay? So now what we see is the NASDAQ came back to leading, a similar situation here. Let's let's just look at the history of this, you know, the NASDAQ popped, right? We see it trade across this halfway level in here, all the pink dots, right? Same thing there. And then we get a cluster of them here, one, two, three, four of them, and then that's what gave us that that propulsion up into the full side full upside objective hitting the target completing the harmonic so now we've got the nasdaq's completed still waiting on the dow the s p to see what's going to happen with those two and and then what we're going to do is we'll take a look at silver right we took a look at silver yesterday uh, i don't know why that's all right let me get this organized here that should be there we go okay all right, so here's silver, right? Another market that just completed, right? So we had our breakout zone up in here back in, again, late November. Market came down. You can see all the reactions of these yellow circles. We bounced, right? Came back up in here. We were wondering what was going on up in here, right? We were lost in space, you know? Didn't know what was going on with the metals complex. And then finally, we get some resolution, right? We pop down to this halfway level again, that dark green line. You can see the pink dots there. And we bounce up to it twice, right? Here's one retest, here's two retests of it. Perfect retests, right? If I can dial in here, you'll see just absolutely perfect retests of the halfway harmonic. That's what we like to see. It tells us the structure is working well. We come down to the seven eights, get a little bounce to the six, and boom, complete, right? And this is where we should see this, this, you know, we should see this, right? Some kind of a reaction here. That's what we're looking for, right? It, you know, it tells us we can continue to lean on this, this market, even though the, the signal's completed. It gives us an indication that the signal worked as as it should. Silver's completed on the downside. And you know, and look what we had yesterday, a bounce right back to the seven eights. So if it spends some time down here, we'll look to see what silver does. Does it pop through this 2214, which was our target uh, right there? I think you can see that. Maybe I'll slide it over a little, make sure you can see it. So there it is, 22.14 an ounce, $22.14 an ounce. We got this bounce. We're going to watch and see the reaction. We're going to keep track of this because, again, this gives us something to lean against as we go forward, right? So we have the NASDAQ, we have the silver, two markets that have completed now. Now we're waiting to see on the Dow and the S&P if those can complete. That's going to give us uh, a little bit more to lean on. And then we'll start looking at bond market, dollar index like that. So let's jump over real quick and take a look at the dollar because um, I love to look at the dollar. And so this one did not complete, okay? We had a breakout signal again back here in November. We, November was stacked with, with uh, harmonic structures. And it's good to see these things finally playing out. But the dollar came down here, got down to the seven eights down in here, didn't complete, right? We would have loved to have seen it get down to this 99.81, but it didn't. So we just have to live with that. And um, 
and we bounce, right? We go back up in here and we clear this out. So you can see, you can see all the reactions here between, this is the two eights and the three eights harmonic right here. And you can see all these reactions basically through this area, right? So this is what we call a consolidation. And then the market moves higher, back up into the breakout zone. We go right into the middle of the breakout zone, right in there. And now we're hovering right at the bottom of this breakout zone. So this dollar is kind of a mess. We're not surprised by that. If we look at this longer term, right? Not really, uh, I'm not personally worried about it at this particular moment. We hear all this talk of dollar crashing, you know, you know, what, what does that mean? The bricks, all that. I'm, until we see this thing break, again, until we see it break 99.81, okay, I just, I'm not that concerned, okay? Um, others may be, and that's fine. I just, I'm going to use the harmonics because hopefully you're starting to see these things work pretty well. And if nothing else, they give us a guidepost to lean against, right? And so that's what we're looking at. Right now, to me, if the dollar can get up into this breakout zone up in here, and it can actually punch through, then longer term, right, that continues this upward trend, right, in this. So I look at this downward sloping channel here as a pretty significant, let me just make that a little brighter for you so it's no, there's no doubt. There we go. Okay. Apply. There we go. So this is what I'm looking at, right? Is this downward sloping trend line, right? It creates this triangle. And as long as we stay above that, right? And over time, it's going to shift, right? It moves down, right? Technic, this just straight up technical analysis, nothing too sophisticated, but this is just a trend line moving down. The more we move out in time, the lower this risk gets, right? So it pushes, it pushes the, the, our boundary lower, right? Over time, all the way out of here. I think we're going to see some kind of reaction, you know, by November of 2024. Imagine what do we have going on in November of 2024? We've got a major, probably one of the most important elections, in, you know, in the history of the world, potentially. And so, um, for all the things we've been talking about, you know, this past week with the World Economic Forum, all these wars building, all this kind of stuff. But the point is, you know, uh, this is my take on the dollar till we break 99.81, not that concerned. And then if we broke this level right in here, this 95 level, that would be a big deal to me, right? And then I'd have to say, okay, you know, I give. Um, let's take a quick look, one more market. Let's just look at the bond market. So this is the 10-year note. This is the deepest debt market in the world. And we like to look at this, a U.S.-based market, right? The U.S. 10-year note. And so what I'm looking at is this area in here, right? This little target zone. So what we've done is we've kind of fanned out the trend line to give ourselves three options to where this market can go. We have this area that we're looking at, you know, this thing was making a very strong move up all the way through here. Okay, very strong recovery. This is on the back of the Fed saying they're gonna pause and then they're gonna pivot, right? We talked yesterday about, you know, some of the guys at the World Economic Forum saying seven rate cuts in 2024 seems a little excessive. I agree, you know, um, you know, so what we're seeing now is this thing was strong, it's going sideways, it's probably gonna work its way into these, these moving averages because it wants to go there. A lot of big fund managers look at these moving averages as places to reduce risk, add risk, stuff like that. It, this is about as simple as, of analysis as you can get. It's just a simple trend line. I just like to fan it out to give myself different options. But that's what we're looking at. Is this zone right in here, right, for the 10-year note? What would that mean? You know, it would mean, that means a lot of things. And we're probably getting that. It's probably too much to get into right now. But the big thing is, when this goes up, yields come down, right? So borrowing costs go down. So bar home rates are going to go down. 
um, as it goes, as this market rolls over, it starts to go back down into here. That means borrowing costs on homes, cars, credit cards, all that stuff goes up. And so that's why we watch this market too, in conjunction with the dollar, in conjunction with crude oil, in conjunction with the metals and the stock markets. Okay, so that that's gives us a quick little wrap on the uh, on the market. So again, silver's key for us. Uh, NASDAQ's key for us. We're going to be closely watching Dow and the S&P. I'll probably do an update in there as the day goes on in Market Ultra, um, on our Market Ultra uh, site. And with that, we can get ready to move on to... Uh, so what we're going to do is today, we're going to wrap up the World Economic Forum, right? So on last Friday, we looked at the health side of the World Economic Forum, we looked at the climate change side of the World Economic Forum, and then we looked at you know the populist side of the World Economic Forum, which doesn't exist very much, but they did have Malay and Argentina there. So that's kind of what we did on Friday. And then yesterday we did the financial side of it, right? We looked at all the big power players on the financial side of the World Economic Forum. We went through, there's so much we could cover on that, but what I tried to do is boil it down to you know one hour show, you know, try to get the point across of what these guys are looking at you know, from the financial side of things and so many different factors, right? There's so many different things in terms of the technology side of it, you know, the, the central bank digital currency side of it, the, the, the central bank side of it. There's so many components to that financial side of the things. But hopefully we did a pretty good job of giving, you know, giving you a little bit of background of what came out of the World Economic Forum from the financial standpoint. Today, what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at the technology side, okay? Technology, I think finance is pervasive across the world. I think technology is now pervasive across the world. So what we're seeing is um, a couple key players that, that showed up at the World Economic Forum on the technology side. We had um, we had all obviously all the big players. Sam Altman, right? He's behind you know the artificial intelligence, Chat GPT. We had Mark Benioff there. We're going to take a look at him, right? We're going to look at the, the medical side of the technology with Albert Borla of Pfizer. And um, and then we'll kind of wrap this up with Christine Lagarde. And then we'll take a look at something I think is just fascinating, right? And this is the ADL, the Anti-Defamation League with John uh, Jonathan Greenblatt, right? And that's how we'll wrap this up. But what we'll do is we're going to try to move through this from a technology standpoint at first, right? And then we're going to move into... Um, the the Christine Lagarde, right? We'll take a look at Christine Lagarde and try to bridge the technology side of that with her. Um, and I think you'll see what I'm doing there when I do this. Uh, we'll talk about it when we get there. But what we're going to do now is we're going to roll clip one. This is Queen Maximus of the Netherlands, okay? She's an Argentinian who married into the Kingdom of the Netherlands, right? I think it was back in the 80s. I'm not exactly sure, right? She's, um, my personal take on this is just think about why they've chosen. She's a fairly attractive queen, right, woman, right? And she's she's pretty forceful. You'll see she's a pretty forceful. She definitely knows what she wants and she speaks her mind, right? She is the queen of Netherlands, I guess, so why not, right? But the, but the what we want to look at is the technology component of this, what they're doing, right? So we're talking about, you'll see her talking about things called like e-signatures, digital IDs, QR code legislation, right? And watch her chuckle when she talks about that. Credit bureaus, enhancing them um, by opening up finance regulations, um, you know, connectivity, cybersecurity, fraud. She's gonna talk about trying to put the power in the hands of the consumer. I just don't know if I believe that, right? If you watch, see what you think, right? See if you think she's really working for the consumer, right? For the 
or if she's working for some higher power, right? Um, I'm not talking higher power like off this world. I'm talking about some higher power, you know, globally, right? Some global entity that she's answering to. So let's roll cl clip one. This is Queen Maximus of the Netherlands, and uh, we'll jump back in after and kind of take a, make make a few comments on this. I think one critical thing for that yeah. is to for to have digital KYC, which is, does not exist in all countries, but it is a game changer, and e-signatures that are accepted by courts because uh, an e-signature where the, a court doesn't operate on, it's uh, practically useless. Moreover, uh, I think we, we, it, the development and design teams, yeah. uh, the technology development design teams, the productivity are, is growing 5x, 10x because of large language models. Sure. So, and very soon we'll be able to provide 24-7 customer support service without humans, just Using technology. I would like to say something, and I think that a lot of people have been a little bit mentioning it, but um, apart from the full financial education, I think that, uh, don't get me wrong, I mean, I, I, I'm the president of the financial education system in the Netherlands, so <laughs> I am competing for it, but it will not assure you demand. And, and I think it's more sort of, you know, you see that if you design the products properly, then you see it, and it would not assure you financial health either. So I think that's a distinction I would like to make. Um, we been working in the last 10 years on a notion that we call digital public infrastructure. So. And um, you know, on our experiences of different countries to actually have this sort of stack of things that are actually very important. One of the things, the IDs, e-signature, digital ID. Um, so that's extremely important. Even having a QR code <laughs> legislation is very important. Um, having credit bureaus. It's also something very important. Credit bureaus are probably will be, I would say, not replaced, but in some way uh, enhanced by open finance regulations that are actually now we're having very good examples in Brazil, <laughs> India, Singapore. Um, I know, well, you have open banking in, 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 in the European Union, but that's something that is actually will be turning basically the empowerment of the data yeah. from the financial service provider to the consumer. And that's, I think, has holds great promise. Sure. Everything that has to do with consumer protection knows uh, recourse mechanisms because also that has to be also some kind of protection. Mm. Interoperable payment systems that would actually completely uh, uh, be a game changer in terms yeah. of you know having more competition yeah. in the whole system. Um, connectivity and something nothing nobody has actually mentioned cybersecurity and fraud prevention because the more digitization we have, we have also other risks coming in, yeah. and that's you know the fraud and cybersecurity issues are actually very, very important. Your Majesty, I wish I had your powers because then I would just declare that this session is going to continue for another 20 minutes. <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> the World Economic Forum won't allow me to. But is there anyone with a burning point that they would like to make? There's a lady there and there's a lady there. So you are looking at the same clock that I'm looking at. My name is Roshane and I run uh, one of the largest microfinance programs in Pakistan for women. Thank you. Um, you know, it sounds very sexy to talk about digital uh, you know, uh, infrastructure and financial inclusion and how they will all pair up together. But 
actually, if index is showing that gender divide is increasing as far as access to finance, finance is concerned. So my question to the Queen is, and we've worked together earlier as well, uh, what are the three things we need to do? What have we not done enough of to actually push the needle for women? Mm -hmm. Thank you very much. Let's quickly take the point from the lady here in front. Yes, um, <coughs> I'm Amal. I'm from Egypt, and I've witnessed and been a beneficiary of uh, MNT Highland success. Oh, wow. uh, so okay. I'm uh, personally very proud of the financial inclusion we've witnessed in Egypt so far. And I hope to see it scale to the rest of the region, if not the whole global south. Yeah, I think one critical thing for that yeah. is. Okay, so then we get a look at uh, Queen Maximus of the Netherlands, right? And so one thing that I really want to point out is the where she talks about. So the guy on her left, or guy on her right, on our left, right, all the way on our left. He's out of Egypt, right? And he's talking about before this before this clip, right? He was talking about designing products, right, so that it assures assures adoption, okay? And then she refers back to that, right? So they're designing these products because they don't trust, right? What they're saying is they don't trust, right, the poor, the underprivileged, right, to 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 dig themselves out to you know, take care of themselves, right? Like they need to look after them, right? Like shepherds, you know? And so she says they're designing products to assure adoption by these people, okay? So to me, that doesn't sound like someone who, I, I don't know, you know, make your own decision there, right? But I'm just trying to point out that, you know, she talks about putting the power in the hands of the people, right? Turning it over to them, right? But here's the thing I just want to bring up, right? About a month or so in New Zealand, right? We saw, this is such a fascinating story, right? We saw this, the, the guy who was in charge of data in New Zealand, right? He saw some aberrations in the data, some anomalies, right? Some deviations. And he started looking into it. And so he ended up releasing the data on the COVID shot, right? And he saw that some batches of the COVID shot were very, very deadly. And so he aggregated this data, worked with a guy named Steve Kirsch, right? Who donated a bunch of money to MIT. MIT wouldn't even let Steve Kirsch come into the own building that he donated $50 million to, right? To MIT. They, the known faculty would invite him in. Finally, some students inviting him, invited him into the own building he donated MIT. And then he brought this up, talked about it. It blew the whole thing wide open. And Steve Kirsch's point was this. This is the first time, right, that the people have gotten to look at their own data that's being aggregated on them. Right? That's the first time in history that we've gotten an honest look at the aggregated data on us. So I guess I just wanted to inject that story into this because when I see this kind of stuff, when I see her talking about designing products that assure adoption, right? And the education just isn't enough, right? I get it, right? This sounds like Michael Bloomberg forcing Coca-Cola, right? Reducing the size of Coca-Cola in New York City. What was that, 10 years ago or something, right? It just doesn't sound to me like looking out for the interest of the people. So I just wanted to talk, I just want you to take it, you know, just throw that around your head about the technology component of this, right? And make your own decision, right? I'm, I'm just trying to hear, you know, I'm just here to try to show you about the technology, politicians pulling this stuff around the world, you know, talking about this stuff. And with that, we'll take an interesting, this guy's interesting, this Sam Altman, right? I think this guy's just off the chart smart, right? He's the guy behind ChatGPT, this artificial intelligence, you know, design and, you know, he was fired, then he was brought back in. I mean, there's controversy around this guy. It's too much to, to cover here, but the, but it's an interesting conversation. I don't have a lot of comment on it. I think he's innocent. I think he's just kind of a tech geek, you know, that is just really smart and he's into this stuff. I don't think he has a nefarious side of him. I just don't sense that. 
Um, but he's on the front end of AI, right? And I just wanted, you know, it's a good clip. It's worth listening to. So let's go ahead and roll clip two on Sam Altman. And this will pretty much be it. I don't have any more comments. And then we'll roll into a real character, Mark Benioff, after that. But let's go ahead and roll clip two. Thanks. Let me start uh, with you, Sam. Uh, I think most people are worried about two two kind of opposite things about AI. One is it's going to end human humankind as we know it, and the other is why why can't it drive my car? Um, where do you think realistically we are with artificial intelligence uh, right now? What what is it? What, do you, for you, what are the things it can do most effectively, and what are the things we need to understand that it can, cannot do? You know, I, I think a very good sign about this new tool is that even with its very limited current capability and its very deep flaws, people are finding ways to use it, in it for great productivity gains or other gains and understand the limitations. So a system that is sometimes right, sometimes creative, often totally wrong, you actually don't want that to drive your car, um, but you're, you're happy for it to uh, you know, like help, help you brainstorm what to write about or help you with code that you get to check. And so we have help, been- Help us understand why can't it drive my car? Well, there are, I mean, there are great self-driving car systems, but uh, like at this point, you know, Waymo's around San Francisco, or uh, there are a lot of them and people love them. Um, what I meant is like the sort of open AI style of model right. is good at some things, but not good at sort of like a life and death situation. Um, but people under, I think people understand tools and tool limitations of tools more than we often give them credit for. And people have found ways to make ChatGPT super useful to them and understand like what not to use it for, for the most part. So I think it's a very good sign that even at these systems, current extremely limited capability levels, you know, much worse than what we'll have this year to say nothing of what we'll have next year. Uh, people, lots of people have found ways to get value out of them and also to understand their limitations. So, you know, I think it's AI has been somewhat demystified uh, because people really use it now. And uh, that's, I think, always the best way to pull the world forward with a new technology. The, the thing that I think people worry about is the ability to trust AI. You know, at what, at what level can you say, I'm really okay with the AI doing it, you know, whether it's driving the car, writing the paper, filling out the medical form. And part of that trust, I think, always comes when you understand how it works. And one of the problems uh, AI researchers have, AI engineers have, is figuring out why it does what it does. Um, you know, how the neural network operates, yeah. what weights it assigns to various things. Um, do you think that we will get there or is it getting so inherently complicated that we are at some level just going to have to trust the black box? So on, on the first part of your question, um, I think humans are f f pretty forgiving of other humans making mistakes, but not really at all forgiving of computers making mistakes. And so people who say things like, well, you know, self-driving cars are already safer than human-driven cars, it probably has to be safer by a factor of, I, I would guess, like between 10 and 100 before people will accept it, maybe even more. And I think the same thing is gonna happen for other AI systems, caveated by the fact that if people know, if people are accustomed to using a tool and know it may be totally wrong, um, 
that's kind of okay. I think, you know, in some sense, the hardest part is when it's right 99.999% of the time and you let your guard down. Um, I also think that what it means to verify or understand what's going on is going to be a little bit different than people think right now. Uh, I actually can't look in your brain and look at the 100 trillion synapses uh, and try to understand what's happening in each one and say, okay, I really understand why he's thinking what he's thinking. You're not a black box to me. Um, but what I can ask you to do is explain to me your reasoning. I can say, you know, you think this thing, why? And you can explain first this, then this, then there's this conclusion, then that one, and then there's this. And I can decide if that sounds reasonable to me or not. And I think our AI systems will also be able to do the same thing. They'll be able to explain to us in natural language the steps from, from A to B. And we can decide whether we think those are good steps, even if we're not looking into it and saying, okay, I see each connection here. And, you know, I don't get to like, I think we'll be able to do more to x-ray the brain of an AI than x-ray the brain of you and understand what those connections are. But at the level that you or I will have to sort of decide, do we agree with this conclusion? We'll make that determination the same way we'd ask each other, explain to me your reasoning. Um, one of the things you and I have talked earlier, and one of the things you've always um, emphasized was that you thought AI can be very friendly, very benign, very empathetic. And I want to hear from you what you think um, what do you think is left for a human being to do if the AI can out-analyze a human being, can out-calculate a human being? A lot of people then say, well, that, will you know, that means what we will be left with, our core innate humanness will be our emotional intelligence, our empathy, our ability to care for others. But do you think AI could do that better than us as well? And if so, what, what's the core competence of human beings? I think there will be a lot of things. Humans really care about what other humans think. That seems very deeply uh, wired into us. So chess uh, was one of the first like victims of AI, right? Deep Blue could be Kasparov whenever that was a long time ago. And all of the commentators said, um, this is the end of chess. Now that a computer can beat the human, you know, no one's gonna, no one's gonna bother to watch chess again, ever, it's over. Or play chess again. Chess has, I think, never been more popular than it is right now. Um, and if you like cheat with AI, that's a big deal. And no one, or almost no one, watches two AIs play each other. Um, we're like very interested in what humans do. When I read a book that I love, the first thing I do when I finish is like I want to know everything about the author's life, and I want to like feel some connection to that person that made this thing that resonated with me. And uh, you know, like what, same thing for like many other products that, that humans know what other humans want very well. Humans are also very interested in other people. I think humans are gonna, we're gonna have better tools. We've had better tools before, but we're still like very focused on each other. And I think we will do things with better tools. And I admit it does feel different this time. General purpose cognition feels so close to what we all treasure about humanity that it does feel different. So of course, you know, there'll be kind of the human roles where you want another human, but even without that, I think, like when I think about my job, I'm certainly not a great AI researcher. Um, my, my, my role is to like, you know, figure out what we're gonna do, think about that, and then like work with other people to coordinate and make it happen. And I think everyone's job will look a little bit more like that. We will all operate at a little bit higher of a level of abstraction. We will all have access to a lot more capability. Um, and we'll still like make 
decisions, they may trend more towards curation over time, but we'll make decisions about what should happen in the world. Let me start uh, with you, Sam. Uh, okay, there we go. So, uh, you know, I, I, I don't, I think this guy, we have to pay attention to him because he's obviously, you know, kind of a founding father. Of, it, he seems to me to be like that kind of a role, you know, in artificial intelligence, you know. And so, but I don't see, he seems like a thoughtful guy. He doesn't seem like he's got a bad bone in his body. You know, I mean, I think he's a straight shooter. And, you know, maybe that's why they fired him. Who knows, you know. The, um, but, you know, and then they brought him back, right? So it's just an interesting character. You know, it's something to keep, if you don't know who, you know, Sam Altman is, now you do, right? When you hear about him in the news, it's probably worth paying attention. Um, if you, you know, if you have some interest, you can go and look and see some more about him, you know, and, and basically his last month of turmoil, um, you know, being bounced around last two months. Um, but anyway, I think a thoughtful individual, I think there's some good insight in that little clip. You know, that's why I wanted to show. And it kind of sets us up for the next few clips, right? So the next one is same conference, same panel, right? And they bounced a guy named Mark Benioff, right? Uh, most of you probably know that name. If you don't, it's not that big of a deal, right? But he, this guy is a power player in the tech space as well. So what he talks about is he plays off the... Uh, the Davos theme, right? Restoring trust, right? Then he gets a little off the beat here with digital doctors and digital people, and I can't quite follow what he's saying, right? But then he talks about crossing the bridge of trust, and he says that we're at a threshold moment, right? But that we're not all the way there yet, right? That we don't have trust in our own models yet. You're going to see this model reference later on with Christine Lagarde. She talks about models, okay? So I want to point this out. He's talking about they don't have trust yet in their own models, right? And they know they need that, right? So in order to control all of us, to, con to get control of a society, right, that, that, you know, is financially in trouble. So when a society is in financial trouble, you either have war or you have another path of control, right? You've seen this through history, right? We can go through countless examples of this, right? So what he's saying right, basically is they're close to replacing humans, but the, but the interim step is to augment humans. Okay, so with that, right, let's go ahead and roll clip three of Mark Benioff and uh, see what you think. Mark, let me bring you in as the, as the other technologist here. What, what do you think of this question of what, um, so, so what, what Sam seems to be saying is that, you know, it is those, those emotional teamwork uh, kinds of qualities uh, that become very important. You, you, you have this massive organization, you use massive amounts of technology. What do you think, what, 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 is, what are human beings going to be best at in a world of AI? Well, I don't know, uh, you know, um, when do you think we're going to have our first uh, WEF uh, panel moderated by an AI? <laughs> you know, I've been on, sitting on the stage for a lot of years, I'm always looking down at someone. Got a great moderator right here with Yusuf. And, uh, but maybe it's not that far along. You know, maybe pretty soon, a couple of years, we're gonna have a WEF digital moderator sitting in that chair, moderating this panel, and maybe doing a pretty good job because it's gonna have access to a lot of the information that we have. Now, I think it's gonna evoke the question of, well, do, are we gonna trust it? I think that trust kind of comes up right up the hierarchy pretty darn quick. You know, we're gonna have digital doctors, digital people, you know, these digital people are going to emerge and there's going to have to be a level of trust. Now today, when we look at the AI, we look at the 
gorgeous work that Sam has done and so many of the companies that are here that we've met with, like Cohere and Mistral and Anthropic and all the other model companies are doing great things. But we all know that there's still this issue out there called hallucinations. And hallucinations is interesting because it's really about those models, they're fun, we're talking to them and then they lie. And then you're like, whoa, <laughs> that isn't exactly true. I was at dinner last night and we were having this great dinner with some friends and I was, we were asking the AI about, you know, one of my dinner guests and said, the AI went, well, you know, this person is on the board of this hospital. And she turned to me, she goes, no, I'm not. <laughs> and we've all had that experience, haven't we? We have to cross that bridge. We have to cross the bridge of trust. It's why we went to this UK safety summit. Um, we all kind of piled in there a couple months ago. And it was really interesting because it's the first time that technology leaders kind of showed up and every government technology minister from every country. It was amazing, actually. I'd never really seen anything like it. But everyone's there because we realize we are at this threshold moment, but we're not totally there yet. We're at a moment, there's no question, because we're all using, you know, Sam's product and other products and going, wow, we're having this incredible experience with an AI. We really have not quite had this kind of interactivity before but we don't trust it quite yet. Mark, let me bring you in as the, as the other technologist here. What, what do you think of this question of what, um, so, so what, what Sam seems to be saying is that, you know, it is those, those. Okay, so there we see Mark Benioff, a little bit of background on him, right? Salesforce is, he was a co-founder at Salesforce. Again, you know, there's providing data, you know, to the business community. Right. If you want, you can read up on him, his background. Right. So it's a data intensive company. Um, so data is kind of his deal. Artificial intelligence would kind of fit with him. So he's, you know, probably pretty tight with guys like Sam Altman. The other thing is this guy, I can't remember what year it was, but he bought Time Magazine. Right. So why does a guy like that buy Time Magazine? I know Time Magazine was struggling and maybe he did it out of, you know, to keep, you know, a American institution Time Magazine alive. But I think it's more to influence, right? This guy's clearly an influencer. If you read up on him and, and follow him a little bit, you'll find out. I personally, I'm not a huge fan of this guy, right? Like, I don't know if Sam Altman is, is Jewish, but this guy is Jewish, right? And then we're gonna get in, next we're gonna go into Albert Borla, he's Jewish. And maybe you'll see where I'm going with this by the time we get down to the ADL, right? And Jonathan Greenblatt, which is our last clip, right? So um, I just wanna paint this picture a little bit, right? Because that's becoming a big issue. I don't have any, you'll see where I'm going with that, I hope, right? But with this, let's jump. So check out Mark Benioff. Um, you, know, you know, make your own opinions on him, of course, right? I just want to show you because I think these are important players at this year's World Economic Forum and probably next year's as well, right? And so but next we're going to go to Albert Borough. This guy's the CEO of Pfizer, right? He's got a, uh, a animal, um, uh, what's the right word? Um, so he's got an animal um, medication, uh, what's the right word, pharmaceutical, like animal pharmacy uh, background. And, um, but, he, but he was brought in at just the right time. And I know this pretty well, because I have family members that work for Pfizer. So I, I've, I've paid close attention to Pfizer through the years. And um, what they've done the last few years is just, you know, it's beyond the pale words to me. But, but the point is, this guy, right, he talks about how they're using technology, right? Um, 
you know, to transform people's lives, right? And with AI, they, he says, you know, we can do it better and faster, right? It all sounds sophisticated, right? You know, the scientific renaissance he'll talk about, right? Synthesizing millions of molecules. You know, we're supposed to trust this process after what we've just been through. I mean, are people not doubting the vaccine, right? These guys were on the front edge of it. And, you know, but I wanted to show a clip of when they got the news, right? That the vaccine was, you know, 95% effective and they did this phony dancing thing around the, you know, around the boardroom table. I wanted to show that clip, it's just out of, you know, time. You can't show it all. But so I just mentioned it, right? You know, it, but it, these people are just fascinating, right? You know, what, and so with that, let's take a look at Albert Borla, right? Clip number four. And, you know, we'll, and then I'll have a comment or two on the backside. And then we'll jump over to Christine Lagarde. Generative AI is something that we were all impressed and but we saw it now, let's say basically last year, right? But AI in different forms exists for many, many years and we are using it very, very intensively in our labs. The best example, but I think people will resonate, it is the oral pill for COVID, it's called Paxlovid, was developed in uh, the chemist part of it, it was developed in four months, usually takes four years. This is because the typical process is what we call drug discovery. You really synthesize millions of molecules and then you try to discover within them which one works. With AI now we're moving to drug design instead of drug discovery. So instead of making 3 million molecules, we make 600. And we made by using tremendous computational power and algorithms that help us to design the most likely molecules to be successful. And then we look to find the best among them. Four years to four months, millions of lives were saved because of that. Wow. <laughs> Generative AI is something that we were all impressed and but we saw it now, let's say. Okay. So there we get a quick look at Albert Borla. <clears throat> I'm not sure we got the, I, I kind of missed some, I'm not sure if we got the part about synthesizing millions of molecules. But here's the thing, right? Was we went into COVID, the, you know, all we needed was really, high levels of vitamin D, right? If, we, if we're out in the sun, we get vitamin D, right? And we don't uh, get sick, right, in the summer very often. And winter comes, our vitamin D level goes down because we're, our skin's not getting exposure to sun, right? So we should be supplementing vitamin D, right? But they don't tell us that, right? That's not like on billboards, you know? That's not on every single commercial. That's not on at the halftime show at the Super Bowl, right? That's not on, you know, and this is a known medical fact, right? But this guy needs to synthesize millions of molecules, right? When all you got to do is take vitamin D, you know, it just doesn't sit well with me, right? So again, I introduce these players, right? Because these guys are making world decisions. Again, this isn't pickup sticks in the backyard here. We're not playing marbles. I mean, this is real stuff going on, you know? And so I just want you to see these people, make your own opinions. I'll, throw, I'll interject my opinion occasionally just to make you think a little bit, you know, hopefully make you think more from a, I mean, obviously our job is financial here is Market Ultra, you know, and that's why we jumped into the markets at the beginning. But now we're just taking a look at who these cast of characters are, right? That show up at this World Economic Forum that are guiding our path forward. They're setting strategy for 2024, 2025, 2032, 20, all these different agendas you hear about. So that's why we take a look at these cast of characters, right? And with that, what we're going to do is now we're going to jump over to Christine Lagarde. Okay, Christine Lagarde, obviously we talked about her last week, you know, she was going to be speaking three times at the World Economic Forum, so I went through her different speeches, 
and I've tried to extract what I thought was the most important one that ties in with what we're talking about here. And here she talks about, right, well, let me flip over one quick thing, right? I just want to give a little background on her, right? So here she is, okay? Christine Lagarde avoids jail, keeps job after guilty verdict in negligence trial, right? So she got caught funneling money off to a couple characters. Um, I'm trying to think who it was. Um, you know, this is, this is like a while ago, but... You know, and again, it wasn't a huge amount of money, but she's been, she, there are a couple things, you know, that she's been involved in that are suspicious, right? You know, she's followed the pathway. She's shown, she says in here, she's not an economist, right? Just like Jay Powell, who runs our Federal Reserve, isn't an economist, right? He's more of an attorney, private equity kind of a guy. Same thing with her. She says that right out of the gate. But the, um, you know, she went through the IMF, the International Monetary Fund, right? And then she got appointed right into, you know, the, the European Central Bank, head of the European Central Bank. And personally, I feel like she's a puppet, you know, and here's another, and again, nothing against women, right? But I think women are less intimidating. And so a lot of times they promote these women and not, it, it, look, it, it, I am the first one to promote, you know, and, and, you know, encourage women, right? That's not my objective here. My objective is to say, I think sometimes they're put in here during points of turmoil, right? Because it's less, it's harder for people to get angry at women, you know, it just is, right? And so again, nothing, you know, nothing, uh, you know, no bad intent there. I just like to point out what I, what I think is, you know, just, just for consideration, right? So the point is what she talks about here is there's an efficiency aim, right? Markets would be able to reach an efficiency on their own. So, so that's pure market capitalism, right? Letting markets become efficient, right? By people taking their skills, their resources, their God-given abilities, right? And turning them into something, right? But she's saying, well, that was the time ago, right? That was a period of time when, you'll hear her say, when there were free markets, basically, right? Markets could achieve that efficiency, right? But now she's saying efficiency has been replaced with security, right? So with, with that, we'll go ahead and jump into clip five, and then I'll come back and comment on a couple things, and then we'll roll on to our last, I think that'll be our last clip. Uh, we'll have two more, but it's on the same guy. So yeah, so keep an eye on this. I'll come back and comment on her efficiency, you know, thing. She's got three points. So with that, let's, let's watch what she has to say. So let's start then um, with Christine. What is good or bad about economics and the economic system that we have? Well, thank you very much, Martin. I was going to actually preface any comments I make with the fact that I'm not an economist by training and background, but you've taken care of that. So here goes my disclaimer, because I'm a jurist by background and certainly a lawyer by passion, but I had to deal with many, many economists. And for the last 20 years of my life, I had to deal with economics. So it brings me to, you know, asking myself, what is economics really about? And going back to a basic definition, we could argue that it's the allocation of scarce resources, which has been well served question over the last decades <coughs> by an efficiency aim, which fitted a period of time of free markets, globalization, a good advocate of which is sitting to my left, particularly in the 80s, 90s, and that as a result of that, economics in and of itself could sort things out, and that markets in particular would be perfectly able to achieve that efficiency goal uh, that, that we had. And in a way, 
politics, for instance, was a distraction, or politics, if it was actually acting, was promoting, uh, particularly in the advanced economies, in days when we had the North-South dialogue and, and difficulties, but in advanced economies, certainly politics was promoting uh, these principles. And I'd like to come to two points. Uh, one thing that I have observed from my vintage point now at the ECB and previously at the IMF, which is that efficiency aim that uh, was there has been gradually replaced over the course of time and particularly in the last uh, few years by a security aspiration. So security replacing efficiency. And if I want to take you to three examples of that, uh, I would certainly take climate change first and the climate transition necessity, which is not driven by efficiency, which cannot be sorted out, but sorted out and achieved by market uh, rules and principle only, but require other tools. And I'll come to the tools in a minute. That's the second point I want to make. Second area where uh, security has prevailed over efficiency in terms of goal is energy. And if anything has been learned from the horrible uh, Russian aggression against Ukraine, we've learned that energy is not just a matter of efficiency, it's not just a matter of uh, supply and demand and setting of prices, it can be manipulated to the extreme and it's certainly a quest for security. The third area which I have and which is again in debate and possibly under threat is supply chains, which we had taken for granted were cost reduction and just on time were the key principles and were now the just in case and security of supply and you know safety of the supply chain becomes the aspiration. So with that as a background, and from my very you know small window in the economic world, which is that of a central bank, and with in mind the first thing that I said at the first town hall that I attended at the ECB, which was to the economists in the room that I didn't know very well at the time, but informed by my IMF days, and I have an IMF colleague in the back of the room who will attest to that, I said, beware of models. And if I bring these two together of, you know, security over efficiency, beware of models. What I draw from that is the fact that many of those shocks that are bringing security over efficiency are exogenous shocks, are certainly not linear development, but are crisis or development or exogenous uh, development that are not in models that have not been in models and that have led us and the ECB, the European Central Bank, was the first one to admit that it had got it wrong in a way, was not captured in our model and therefore gave us projections and forecasts that were out of sync with what we should have actually explored. And that leads me to my last point, which is that economists, not the good ones like you, Martin, but many economists are actually a tribal clique. There have been studies of 
you know, quotations, cross-fertilization, cross-references. And economists, I think, together with quantic physicists, are the most tribal scientists that you can think of. They quote each other's. Yeah, men more than women, by the way, but that's another story. Ooh. But they don't, and this yeah. it's true, yeah, yeah. but they, they don't go beyond that world because they feel comfortable in that world. And maybe models have to something to do with it. And what I think we should move towards and are trying to, I'm trying to convince my colleagues that we have to, is bring in, bring in people that are not members of the tribe. You know, if we had had more consultation with epidemiologists, if we had had, and we now have, thank goodness, climate change scientists inside to help us with what's coming up, if we were consulting a bit better with geologists, for instance, to properly appreciate where some of the rare earth and resources are out there, I think we would be in a better position to actually understand the developments, project better, and be better economists. So let's start then. All right, boom, there we go. So, um, you know, I kind of built this up last week with Christine Lagarde. I, you know, personally, I just, if, if, if that isn't Hegelian dialectic, I don't know what it is. Problem, reaction, solution. So just a little history, right? She was part of creating the problem at the IMF. Part of creating the problem, you know, well, Draghi, her predecessor, Mario Draghi, he ran the European Central Bank before her, before her and so did Jean-Claude Trichet before Mario Draghi. There's a whole story there that maybe someday something will happen and we'll get into that, unravel that whole thing. But the point is, what she's talking about is problem, reaction, solution, in my opinion, right? So exogenous shocks that are driving security over efficiency, right? So let's create the problem. Here's the reaction, you know, get scared, you know, why are we afraid? You know, I mean, we're not afraid of this. They create the fear in us, right? And then here we are, the central bank, right? To create the solution, right? Go back to Andrew Jackson, right? One of our presidents who said, we do not need central banks, right? He fought his whole life to take down the second U.S. central bank, right? So, you know, I guess the things, so let me just kind of recap what she has to say here, Okay. She says, beware of models, exogenous shocks are the drive, driving the security over efficiency, right? These shocks cause fear, right? And create humans to react, you know, right? And supposedly in a negative way, right? She refers back to models, which we heard, you know, Benioff referring to and some of these prior people referring to. So there seems to be a common theme that seems a little bit more than a coincidence to me, right? And then she talks about economists being a tribal clique, right? They quote each other, right? You know, and so forth. I wish I had the time, you know, to play the guy sitting to her right, you know, the guy to our left, because he opens up with, you know, he said, um, if we want to restore trust, right, which is the theme of the 2024 Davos, right, then we need to close our eyes and forget. <laughs> anyway, okay, so... <laughs> You got to look at Christine Lagarde, right? She's going to be in the news this whole year. We'll be coming back to her. But now you know who she is. You've seen who she is. If you didn't know who she was, now you know who she is, right? So with that, let's jump onto this clip six. This is one of Jonathan Greenblatt with the ADL, which is the Anti-Defamation League, right? I think this interaction between the CNBC crew and him is pretty much speaks for itself. It's a pretty good debate, and it'll set us up for our last clip. So with that, let's go ahead and roll clip six of Jonathan Greenblatt with the ADL. 
and hate, as we know, affect markets. They affect your employees. They affect your customers. They affect how you operate. And anti-Semitism right now is the most virulent strain of this hate. Okay, but here's the question. So I was with the CEO Mm -hmm. yesterday, and the the CEO had been approached about, what can you do to help? Yeah. What can you do to help? Yeah. And he's saying to me, well, I'm thinking about what can I do to help, but I'm, and, and he's Jewish, wants to help, wants to figure out what kind of pressure could be applied, but is so scared to speak out publicly or to do something even privately that could therefore become public and either offend his customer base yeah. or potentially affect his employee base. Yeah. And for some reason, this issue, uh, around, which I think I would imagine shouldn't be a, a politically uh, uh, polarizing one around getting hostages back, right? somehow is. Explain it. I mean, look, hatred of Jews is a universal problem and it demands a universal response. Now, look, there are bad actors who are trying to say what Israel is doing in the Middle East is the cause of anti-Semitism. But that's baloney. We have seen an explosion of anti-Jewish hate and it didn't start after the Israelis went into Gaza. It started on October the 7th. We've seen staggering acts of harassment and violence, by the way, not just in America, but in, in England, in France, in Germany, all over Europe. It wasn't it surprising enough in our back home, Andrew, that the political continuum yeah. go out far enough left, whether it's college campuses or you, you know who I'm talking about, whatever, wherever you are, and you get to some oppressor, oppressed, apartheid uh, 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 analogies, you get to that point, and in Davos, you're surprised, these are the, well, wait a second, every, no, no, but these are the I biggest globalist elitists in the world, of course they're going to be, if you go, uh, if you get woke enough, well, don't, you've got to be. I, I just, I, I, you I don't agree with well, the well, what strictly happened? woke thing, because the other thing is, there's also these skinheads on the other side. You always who, bring that up, but I bring it up not because been, those have not been. The truth is, in the last 90 days, it has been anti-Israel, you know, For radical anti skinhead, there's a 100,000 oh, kids a on college campuses but, that have been wait fed a this crap. But Joe, the reality is that it is those right-wing extremists who were shooting and murdering Jews in Pittsburgh, in Poway, you know, across not, Europe. I, 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 of course, I'm not. So look, in let's just way. acknowledge, let's acknowledge, it's not just right-left, it's right and wrong. Because you've occupied the left so comfortably for so long again to see it uh, eat one oh, of its come on. one, 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 one screaming it's, it's, from the rooftops the yeah. other is actually <laughs> shooting from the rooftops Look, and is, that's a, a major difference it is appalling the way these universities have turned a blind eye to this why isn't it being discussed in Davos then? what's what's your what's your reason you know it's this not, is the, the, the you panel that I'm left, doing an oppressor oppressed look like most of these CEOs are not like woke activists Joe why are they scared to talk Andrew they're gonna get it's gonna, well, they're so they're gonna talk because they have they have they have Palestinian exactly, employees right. um, who they think are going to go after them. They they have uh, that, uh, employees. Palestinian employees are not Hamas. Well, no, it actually goes to just how anti-Semitic this is the, the deal. The world is. This is that's what it's about. This and hate, as we know, affect. All right, so we can see how charged how quickly that can get charged, right? The this goes back to one of our headlines right at the beginning, right? Let me go through this. So, an isolated Israel doubles down on war in Gaza at all costs, okay? And then the other headlines that go with it, okay, are don't confuse Netanyahu's interest with Israel's. Israel says 24 soldiers killed in the Gaza Strip, worst one day toll, right, so far in the war. Here, but don't forget this, this is okay. Israel's high tech is unfazed by the war. 
the innovation official, right? The innovation official says, right? And then Israel vows to control security in the Gaza Strip after the war, right? So this ties in with, you know, the technology, right? With um, Greenblatt, right? This guy's the great divider, right? That's what he's paid to do, right? The Anti-Defamation League is the great divider. They cause, it's a lot like Black Lives Matter, right? It's a lot like these different institutions that are funded, right, to create division. That's what the World Economic Forum wants, right? That's how they exist. The World Economic Forum needs the West, in particular the U.S., but the U.S. doesn't need the World Economic Forum. And that's what we need to realize. So with that, let's roll this last clip. This guy, Avi, we're going to go back to Rebel News on the streets of Davos, right? Avi's, Avi, this guy, you got to love this guy, right? He's chasing down Jonathan Greenblatt, and I think he's asking all the right questions, and I just love his commentary at the end, right? So let's go ahead and roll clips, uh, clip seven. Yeah, this is clip seven. How you doing, Jonathan? I'm good. Can I ask you something? I'm meeting somebody. I'm sorry. I'll walk with you. Are you are you like that the boy who cried wolf? Are you? For so many years, you 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 cried anti-Semitism and you found hatred everywhere. And then Which, and then and then finally and then have you many from Rebel News? What's Rebel News? Rebel News. It doesn't matter. But finally now, the, when the world when the world has turned so anti-Semitic, no one believes us because of people like you and the work you've done over so many years destroying our allies making lists about our allies people that actually defend us you've been a big part of that problem haven't you do you know the boy that cried wolf i'm not familiar with this story why don't you no. why don't you explain it to me jonathan I, like it's not a joke because the jews around the world we are feeling the pain and you've alienated so many of our allies what about elon musk somebody that's been so good no you got a message for elon thank you jonathan there you go Nothing to say. Censorship in real life. I bet you I'm going to be on a list tomorrow. Jonathan Grimblatt is a man that has cried anti-Semitism for years. He has found hate. He has made it his job to find hate and anti-Semitism and Jew hatred where it hasn't been. Now, the problem with that is fast forward to October 7, where many of us Jews are finally seeing real anti-Semitism but so much of the world is numb to it and don't believe it because he's cried it for so many years. The Jonathan Grimblatt of the world who label anyone with an opposing view as a racist and as anti-Semite and now suddenly in our darkest days we have no one left to support us. That is why we're here. WFreports.com, bookmark and support our work. How you doing Jonathan? I'm good. There we go. God bless you, Amy. So the we love what he, I love what he did there, right? I think we're all. I am. I'm sick and tired of. I'll speak for myself. I'm sick and tired of this black versus white, left versus right, Jew versus non-Jew, male versus female. All these different things that they try to division. Look, we're all one, right? If we stay one, these people don't win, right? That's the goal, right? The World Economic Forum. If you if you see, don't forget Israel's very tech heavy. So I want to keep this tied in with everything, right? It's very tech heavy. Okay, so that's why we go through all the technology of that. And then we tie it in with this, you know, anti-Semitism, right? Why are they creating this? Why is Jonathan Greenblatt there? Why, what is his role? You know, you can make up all kinds of stories, but I just, it's just something to toss around in your head, right? And think about, right? Because in the end, right, they want to restore trust, right? There's only one real restorer of trust, right? And that's the big man, right? That's God, right? So with that, 
you know, I think what we've tried to point out here with this World Economic Forum is that we've got a bunch of psychopathic people, right, trying to play God, right, and really proving that they're morons attempting to do it, right? They, you know, they're creating these models. And look, we all have to do that. Technology advances, I get all that. But the problem is when they don't share the information with us, when they're outpacing us, and we're not working as one, and they're trying to create division so that the few keep the majority and the, the masses don't, you know, that's really what we're talking about here. That's the real division, right? We look for these dividing lines, right? That's what we did last Thursday with Poland, Ukraine, you know, Russia versus Europe, right? This whole thing that's been going on, this cold war that we've allowed to go on, right? The apathetic, you know, generation or two before us, right, that have just let this cold war go on without without hitting it on the head and saying, we're sick and tired of this, right? So I know that's me kind of going off. It's a, maybe a Pete Santilli moment there, but you know, maybe he's rubbing off. But the point is, I just, I kind of wanted to wrap it up with this because I think this is so significant. And I just love Avi, right, of Rebel News for what he did there and calling out, you know, the, the great divider, Jonathan Greenblatt. And so with that, you know, what we're doing is we're keeping an eye on these markets. So we look, we, you know, uh, we, we looked at the NASDAQ. It completed its upside harmonic, right, full objective. Silver completed its full downside objective at um, 22.14 an ounce. Right, we're going to see what the S&P brings today. We've got a little bit of data this week, a couple central banks. We've got uh, a couple data points. We've got a, a, a back-end heavy data week, right? So today we get some data. I'm sorry, tomorrow we get data. Thursday we get some data and Friday. So right, front, front, right in the front of the week, heavy in the back of the week. So we'll try to make sure we nail that on the on the economic front tomorrow. And we'll see what happens if we can get these completions in the S and P and the Dow, and then we'll have some we'll have some uh, reference points to work from going forward. So with that, have a great day. Thanks for joining us here on Market Ultra. Thanks. This is Austin Steinbar, and you are tuned in to the Pete Santilli Show. Banks are supposed to be the safest placeholders for cash in the world, but in 2022, that changed. The Federal Reserve pulled out $2.5 trillion of liquidity out of the banks, and the Fed also changed the requirements so banks don't need to keep any funds on hand. This means banks are starved for liquidity and have now become very dangerous places to hold your assets. Get out of the system with the world's safest and most private assets, silver and gold. Call Kirk Elliott, Ph.D. at 720-605-3900. Be sure to tell him Pete Santilli sent you. To celebrate the new year, we're having the biggest sale ever on overstock clearance and brand new products. For example, save 60% on our Goose Down Comforters, the best comforters ever. They go perfectly with our MyPillow bedsheets and duvet covers. Save 25% on our brand new kitchen towels. They're made with the same technology as our famous My Towels. Our initial quantities are extremely low, so get them now before they go. Our seasonal flannel sheets are fine. Finally in, you save up to 50% and they sell out fast every year, so order now. They're truly the best flannel sheets you'll ever sleep on. Or save up to 80% on all our clearance items. And this is where it gets even better. For a limited time, your entire order ships absolutely free. So go to MyPillow.com or call the number on your screen. Use that promo code to get deep discounts on all MyPillow products. And for a limited time, your order ships absolutely free. G'day, I'm Dr. Mark Miller for Bella Grace, and I'd like to have a chat with you about Bella Trim. 
our comprehensive weight management product. Now, most people early on will register a reduction in cravings associated with Bellatrim. How does it do that? Well, it does it by changing the levels of hormones that are associated with either hunger or satiety. It lowers the levels of ghrelin, a hunger hormone, and it raises the levels of GLP-1, the satiety hormone. As a result of that rebalancing act, you have fewer cravings. Net result, fewer trips to the snack cabinet where you may eat something that you shouldn't. It's comprehensive, it does a lot more than that though. There is an absolutely fascinating action on a metabolic switch called AMP kinase, AMPK. AMPK is associated with the preferential burning of fat as a metabolic fuel. And as a result, you have a reduction in visceral fat and, and reduction in waist circumference. Does more than that. It also helps regulate blood glucose. Blood glucose is a huge factor in weight management. And it does that by optimizing the actions of insulin. It also affects blood lipids. It lowers LDL, lowers triglycerides, all of those bad cholesterols that you hear about, at the same time as raising the levels of HDL, the good cholesterol. In addition for cardiovascular health, it also helps normalize blood pressure. There's more to it than that though. It also improves your microbiome. We do that by several ways. One, there's an ingredient in there that stimulates a greater diversity. And the other one is prebiotics, FOSS and GOSS, that help feed the good bacteria, gentrify your microbiome. So, Bella Trim, comprehensive, enjoy it. Cheers. To celebrate the new year, we're having the biggest sale ever on overstock clearance and brand new products. For example, save 60% on our Goose Down comforters, the best comforters ever. They go perfectly with our MyPillow bed sheets and duvet covers. Save 25% on our brand new kitchen towels. They're made with the same technology as our famous My Towels. Our initial quantities are extremely low, so get them now before they go. Our seasonal flannel sheets are fine in. You save up to 50% and they sell out fast every year, so order now. They're truly the best flannel sheets you'll ever sleep on. Or save up to 80% on all our clearance items. And this is where it gets even better. For a limited time, your entire order ships absolutely free. So go to MyPillow.com or call the number on your screen. Use that promo code to get deep discounts on all MyPillow products. And for a limited time, your order ships absolutely free. I am not frightened of these people. I, I've spent my life serving others, and, and I love my country. This thing is not going to just slip away. They're not going to take us without a fight. I'm going to fight legally and peacefully and within the parameters of the Constitution that I've sworn to serve. But they're going down. These these men and their high perch and their their position of power and authority.
and a walking upon our entire history, our deepest core principles. They're not going to get away with it. They have so far. We'll see. Powerful people in this country, they want to make sure no one hears your, your voice. They want everyone to look at you like a far-right, crazy conspiracy theorist. Is that who you are? No, man. I'm a regular American man. I'm an investigator, police officer by background. I'm going to continue to speak the truth, whether anybody likes it or not. You've always been controversial. And even when you were in law enforcement, you did those uh, Crime Stopper videos that went viral. People loved them. You got a lot of heat for them, too. The Gremlin Street Gang is responsible for hundreds of violent crimes, murders, armed robberies, witness intimidation, burglaries, drug trafficking, extortion, and brutal beatings. We've arrested 10 of these thugs and have warrants on seven more. You will be hunted. You will be tracked. And if you raise your weapon to a man like me, we'll return fire with superior fire. Darren Carter. You think men like these are afraid? Previously on the Pete Santilli Show. Ladies and gentlemen, it's going to be an intense topic, okay? Mm. And we can't just come around the gates and talk about it, but I'm going to tell you something right now. That segment with Tucker Carlson is proof mm -hmm. positive yeah. uh, that, that America has been so dumbed down. Mm -hmm. I mean, so dumbed down. It's, it's amazing that, that Clay Clark, or Clay Clark, <laughs> Clay, it's amazing that Clay Higgins, mm -hmm. it's like this depravity and the FBI is blah, blah. I'm like, mm -hmm. hold on a second, let me open up my manual. I mean, it's yeah. my legal cases, okay, all the way back to 2014, there were FBI agents that showed up in Bunkerville, Nevada. They went to the local pawn shop and picked up an old pair of cowboy boots and, and, and got dressed up and went and put up flags yeah. and ran a influence operation months in advance of the April 12th. And it's not, it wasn't a standoff either, but we'll get right. into that. It wasn't a standoff. It was literally a influence operation. Well, let me look at two of the bigger banks are going to come out. They're going to start off the earnings season on Friday. So are the markets already starting to anticipate that, right? You know, what are the markets anticipating? You can get lost in the you can get lost in the weeds if you're trying to understand everything. You can't understand it all. It's impossible. There's too many factors, too many variables, and so forth. So that doesn't mean it's hopeless. What it means is we have to use some other tool that's reliable, and that comes back to these structures, these harmonics that, that help us sort through those, help us sift through the weeds and the muck. Are you hearing any grumblings? Are they concerned about uh, election manipulation and fraud? Yeah, yeah. There's there's some reports of you know. China China using AI and naval technologies. A lot of it is also just uh, uh, manipulation of social media uh, and China using TikTok and, and other social media to send a pro-China message. Now, they've 
they kind of learned because in 2020 they were very hawkish toward Taiwan, which really drove the election, and it was a strong TPP victory. Um, and uh, you know, they 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 passed a national security law in uh, December of 2019. The election was in January 2020. Uh, the national security law forbade anybody from taking foreign money in regards to election, which allowed them to arrest a bunch of folks in the KMT who were dirty and taking money from the mainland. So, uh, so they really dominated in 2020. This time, China is trying to play a uh, low, uh, lower profile. <coughs> Excuse me. And uh, but uh, she just came out with a very, very strong statement. Uh, probably the strongest statement any any uh, president of China has ever made. And it was very aggressive about we will we will take Taiwan uh, soon. And uh, is that what he said? I don't right out in the open, huh? Well, yeah, I mean, and, I mean, it was pretty, pretty clear that they, the intent was to unify whether ta- Taiwan wanted to or not. Uh, it's U.S. law that we, we will not allow uh, coercion. We will not allow a forceful takeover. And I think the, the population, I was surprised at the number of older people at the DPP rally who wanted into, who, uh, wanted independence. Because I talked to a number of folks and they wanted independence. And this was the older folks, you know, not. Ah, another beautiful morph. What now? I'm a dragon, bro. (laughs) Dude, you're in our airspace again. Can you adjust the knot? I do what I want. Now surrender to Big Daddy China. Okay, guys. Executes Operation Eagle Moose. Yo, Taiwan, bro. What's up? You're looking for freedom? Oh, I want to help too, eh? Hey. Quit hogging the spotlight, Canada. Get out of here. Sorry. Now, you two leave. I'm in the middle of something. Hey, you, China. You big commie bully. What? You call me? I'm going to f*** you up. Hi, Mike. Want me to print the emus? Nah, this is going to take a while. Both of you honkies. Shut up, Canada. I'm so sorry. Oh, what a beautiful... What the is that? Hey, Taiwan. This is China here. Time to come back to Papa, okay? Hello, Australia. I need you, man. China still thinks we belong to them, and they're here to conquer us. Yes. Okay, I'll meet you at the port. I have sailed as fast as me old Ryu can swim, mate. You're a lifesaver. Okay, what did you bring? Well, I brought me a trusty boomerang, this boxing kangaroo, and a crocodile that shoots lasers from his mouth. What the f- is China we're talking about? Ah, you suck my battleship! Okay, yeah, that was sick. Chan 
多批多架挂载实弹的轰六 K 战机，在预警机、歼击机、干扰机的支援掩护下，对台岛重要目标实施多波次。In a recent press interview, President Joe Biden confirmed that United States men and women would fight to defend Taiwan from a Chinese invasion. This prompted immediate outrage from China, who claimed the U.S. was violating its own One China policy. In response, President Biden ordered U.S. and Canadian warships to sail through the Taiwan Strait. For decades, the U.S. operated under a strategic ambiguity in regards to Taiwan, never truly committing to its defense, but strongly hinting that it would oppose a Chinese invasion with military force of its own. This had served. Served as a diplomatic lubricant between the U.S. and China, as China sees reunification with Taiwan as a matter of not just national pride but of survival for the Chinese Communist Party. A free and independent Taiwan is a direct affront to Chinese attempts to become a global superpower, something it has yet to achieve. If the nation can't neutralize one renegade province right off its own shores, it'll never be able to be a credible global power. For the CCP, Taiwan's democracy is an existential threat on their own grip on Chinese power. Now, President Biden. Biden has said the quiet part out loud, and China can expect to face U.S. forces if it attempts to invade Taiwan. But just what would the U.S. do in case of an invasion? A Chinese invasion of Taiwan could only take place during the two or three-week window in either spring or fall, when the tides are favorable. Chinese forces could also only land on a limited number of beaches suitable for the offloading of infantry and vehicles, and all of these are highly defended and booby-trapped in advance. Further, an invasion would take months to prepare, giving Taiwan ample warning and allow. Allowing its navy time to mine the Taiwan Strait, it would be the most costly military operation in terms of life and resources since the great battles of World War II. And even without the U.S. aid, China is unlikely to succeed. You walk into this room at your own risk, because it leads to the future. Not a future that will be, but one that might be. This is not a new world. It is simply an extension of what began in the old one. It has patterned itself after every dictator who has ever planted the ripping imprint of a boot on the pages of history since the beginning of time. It has refinements, technological advances, and a more sophisticated approach to the destruction of human freedom. But like every one of the superstates that preceded it. It has one iron rule: logic is an enemy, and truth is a menace. Any state, any entity, any ideology that fails to recognize the worth, the dignity, the rights of man, that state is obsolete. A case to be filed under M for mankind in the Twilight Zone.
and good morning everybody welcome 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 get your coffee in hand uh and i'm going to discombobulate you this morning i was saying yesterday uh our show format going into uh 2024 uh covering our top news headlines right out of the gates and then also keeping an eye on the financial markets and uh with craig winklewitz uh covering data uh, coming at 8.30 a.m. or so, morning bell. Uh, this morning, uh, before I get I get started here and bring um, Dr. Uh, Kirk on, as well as Craig Winklewitz, let me tell you what we have in, in store today. Um, let's go to this right now. Big news. I'm going to uh, tell you what the agenda is today. Uh, but big news regarding Taiwan big and you'll see that there the bioweapons uh lab that they have out there 11 level four i stumbled into this last night i had dr uh judy uh mikovitz on and that basically produced an explosion of new information uh, biden complicit in trafficking wait till you hear a congresswoman uh that laid that out uh we're also gonna Identify that Speaker Johnson, he's just McCarthy uh, 2.0. Absolute disgusting display of hijacking the speakership and just giving the Democrats what they want and handing the FBI, um, which, by the way, covered up the Clinton-Epstein pedophilia. <laughs> Can you imagine? It was difficult to say that. Um, absolutely difficult to say that. Mm. Wow. Let's see. Let me just check something real quick because our last. And please tell me that we, oh, we got a little technical glitch here. Stand by. Hold on one second, folks. Uh, I will take care of it. Now I'm going to bring Dr. Kirk on um, and Craig Winklewitz. But just give me just one second because we have a little minor technical glitch that I'll fix right now. Mm-hmm. Yes, stand by. So our top news headline, uh, we're going to dig into Taiwan's. Uh, it's actually a level four, uh, and that is a level four. That's the highest level uh, bioweapons lab out there in, um, in Taiwan, and it has a lot to do with, with what um, uh, Winnie the Pooh, the, um, the head of China's CCP, why he wants to go take over Taiwan, I'm sure, in the same fashion that uh, Vladimir Putin um, uh, shut down the 15 labs um, out there in Ukraine. All right, so let's get to it. Um, gentlemen, good morning and welcome. Welcome. A lot of, uh, you know, let's work the bottom up of our uh, top news headlines. Debt, um, Biden's debt. Up $6.2 trillion under Biden. Can I, and Dr. Kirk, good morning to you. Craig, good morning to you. Um, let me tell you what my initial reaction was when I saw that. So all this money and I see Johnson, they're distributing all this. How much of this stuff ever makes it to your wallets? Trillions. Uh, or less. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, seriously, Pete, if you look at the money that they're printing for all this stuff, the 6.2 trillion, 
You have to reconcile that with the M2 money supply. M2 money supply is checking accounts, savings accounts, money markets. That's actually in decline. You know, they've taken about uh, pushing, I'd have to look, 700, 800 billion dollars out of M2 money supply in the last 12 months. I mean, that's a lot. Right. So that's not hitting the public. It's actually not even staying the same. It's it's leaving probably in preparation for a central bank digital currency because you can't have paper dollars and digital dollars at the same time because they're going to compete with each other. You know, uh, Craig, six point two trillion dollars. What if I were to mail you a check for a hundred grand? Would that be a lot of money in your household in Ohio? Sure. Yeah, yeah, that goes a long way in the Why Midwest. It, well, less than it did, but still fair way. Fair, fair. If you, and I, I'm not one to do the graphical pictorials, but imagine you, we could literally ship um, you guys, me, a couple of our friends, $100,000 checks every single day for the next 50 years and not even scratch the surface of $6.2 Isn't that true? I mean, it's that much. Yeah, and you just, you know, you have to question where does it all go, right? I mean, there's no accountability. You know, we've had, you know, the accounting boards are supposed to be there to, to look after this stuff. Department of Defense loses money like crazy. I mean, there's just no accountability anywhere. And uh, so where does that money go? You know, I can remember back, you know, when I was a kid, you would hear the stories of the $800 hammer or the $2,000 toilet, you know, that's going into the government facilities and it's only gotten worse right i mean it's just we don't even hear that anymore it's just you know billions and trillions just disappearing so i don't know where it goes and and uh dr kirk and i we we've talked about what percentage of you know our income is going towards paying the national debt so a large portion of the money that's being moved around is just to pay interest on the debt that we've accrued isn't there well, if you look at Biden's 2024 budget, it's it's pushing a trillion dollars. I think it just surpassed a trillion. Well, we bring in $4.7 trillion a year. So a trillion in interest only payments on a $4.7 trillion income basis, we're well over 20% mm -hmm. of our entire income goes to interest payments. And what makes this even creepier uh, you know, Craig just brought up the the defense department, right? So, so our defense budget is like eight hundred and eighty billion dollars a year. We're paying more in interest only payments than to to actually fund our entire defense department to protect our country. <laughs> it's insane, right? It's like this is where the debt spiral has got out of control. But Pete and Craig, I remember back to. Man, this is a long time ago, maybe 2007-ish, 2006. And I was watching the, the debt to GDP ratio, even back then. And we had gotten to about 80%. 80% of our total GDP was now our, our debt, right? So, so you look at it now, and our debt has surpassed gross domestic product. We're at 123%. Well, why this is important is, you know, looking throughout history, 100% of the time, if if you were a gambler going to Vegas and the, and the odds were 100% of the time you're going to lose, just don't go, Pete. Don't go, right? right so 100% right. so of the time, 
when a country's debt equals its GDP, there's some kind of a systemic change, right? Either they move from a democracy to a dictatorship, a dictatorship to a democracy, there's a currency change, like Venezuela, Argentina, Zimbabwe, whatever. But it's but it's like this pendulum shifting moment that a country never, ever, ever recovers from, ever. And And if you think about it, put it down to the family level. Let's say that your debt was more than your income. All right, years of that, you're gonna just have to file bankruptcy. You're gonna have to look to your spouse and say, honey, I'm, I'm stupid. We, uh, we spent way more than, than what we earned. We, we have to file for bankruptcy. Well, here's the thing. What's true for an individual is true for a country, right? This is why when we've got more debt than we've got income, productivity, gross domestic product, the country will go bankrupt, right? So, so here's where it gets even worse. Last week, the IMF came out with their projection by 2028, 100%, again, bad odds here, 100% of every country in the world, their debt is gonna surpass their gross domestic product. So it's unsustainable moving forward. The world has to go bankrupt, right? It's like, how does the world go bankrupt, right? So, well, they just simply can't pay off their debts. They have to have a change. Right, so what's the change? The change is simply, how about central bank digital currency? How about re, we reset the fiat-based money creation of, of the Federal Reserve and, and the European Central Bank and the Bank of Japan and every central bank around the world and go with something different? See, this is the, the big mask that they're saying, we're gonna have this digital currency that's completely transparent that we can actually control better than, than people using fiat, you know, private money for money laundering and human trafficking and drug trafficking and everything else. I mean, that's their narrative, that's the story, but the ugly reality is unified ledgers. Like I just saw this documentary that, that you all would love called the, like the great taking, right? It's like, oh my word, they changed everything. Mm everything i mean craig i don't know if you if you saw the, you know kind of the the legislation that happened and so forth in 2008 2009 after the big recession slash depression that we had they changed ownership at the banks of people's assets so you think that your checking account your savings accounts yours no not anymore not since 2009, it became, you became a beneficial owner, which means you transferred ownership to the banks and now they'll let you use your money if they want you to use your money, if they have it, because the derivatives debt spiral exploded when Lehman Brothers went down and all these other companies went down and all these banks and financial institutions. And so how do you pay for that? Well, well, let's not pay for it. Let's have the depositors pay for it because we just changed how bankruptcy looks for financial institutions in America. And we changed ownership to the banks. Now the depositors are beneficial owners is what it looks like. Meaning eh, if we want you to have your money, we'll let you have it. You, you gave up your ownership to us too bad. So sad, right? I mean, this is the world that we're living in where now it makes sense when stinking Klaus Schwab at the World Economic Forum says, you're gonna own nothing and like it. Oh no, we rephrase that. You didn't hear, uh, we need to get you up to speed. Uh, we're going to steal from you. And if you try to stop us, we'll <laughs> shoot you. 
Okay. Well, yeah. that's actually a better interpretation. Yeah, um, but they're literally, you know, the uh, we, we've been talking about these natural asset corporations that they're forming. They're literally going to lo- just uh, what, what is you know what rehypothecation is is. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, they don't own it. They, we own the property. We own $170 trillion in natural resources wealth. They're adding value by saying the air, the water, and, you know, the easements uh, have value. And for uh, uh, climate change, we're going to assess the value and trade it on the New York Stock Exchange. They own none of it, but they're going to profit off for, uh, through every bit of it. Don't dare try to stop them from doing that. You know, the Bureau of Land Management... You know, uh, they have restrictions constitutionally from uh, trading on our property or value in our property. With these corporations, you're not going to be able to stop them. You're not going to be able to stop them. They're going to say, I have entitlement. I'll be able to, you know, uh, to to own the air over your home. Um, But if you try to stop them, they will literally use their armies to to get you off the land. They've been doing like they've been doing to the ranchers for many many decades um you know uh let me let me ask you something this is um we're in a scenario now the united states of america has accrued so much death i'm speaking of documentaries i watched a documentary talking about the rothschilds and they highlighted you know how they were acquiring their wealth they said remarkably you know england had made it through you know 10 years of war and didn't go bankrupt and i was like like, should we really be like super bankrupt? I mean, decades and we've been financing wars. We're the ones with the highest debt. Um, it is unsustainable. Is it, not, is it not, gentlemen? You guys educate me. I don't see that it's sustainable. Just the war yeah. side along. War. Yeah, and to, and to put it in perspective, you know, um, Dr. Kirk brings up a good point. You know, he goes back to 2008 and talks about the changes that took place in the banking area. You go back to, you know, 9-11 and the changes that took place with, you know, freedoms that got taken, right? The Homeland Security, all these things get set up again, back to what we first talked about, where's the money going, right? So we get these money drains. I think a lot of that came after 2000 and, you know, after the 9-11, Right, because a lot of things changed structurally. Then after 2007, 2008, the real estate crisis, again, just like Dr. Kirk was saying, a lot of things changed structurally. Then you look at COVID, right, last false flag, and you get a lot of things, again, that are changing, you know, structurally. And so these big false flags are big turning points, you know, which I think most of us are aware of. But, you know, and then you talk about the bioweapons labs, right? So now we know that that's a money funnel, right? We see these, you know, the Vatican Bank, we see how that's a money funnel right so we see all these these funnels where the money's going and we look at these false flag events and we see the changes that take place in the aftermath of them and i think that's how we can start to put it in perspective of these big big events and so the question is you know they're starting to come more rapidly what's coming this year right that's the big question what's coming now because we have this big election this big you know brick wall we're coming up against where you know somebody's going to win and somebody's going to lose how are they going to how are they going to rig that game as we go into this that that's the big question in my mind this is a big year yeah uh, i just need to fiddle and fiddle um right now we are i, I mean uh, guys i know you, you're not in the business of predicting uh but 
I mean, you, you can look down at the stick of dynamite that's underneath, you know, your, that you're sitting on and see that the fuse is being lit. So we're not going to predict when it's going to go off, but we can pretty much see, you know, the fuse is lit and it's, it's common. You can try to calculate when the thing's going to going to set off, but we're not jumping off the dynamite. We're sitting on a powder keg of debt, right? Yeah. I that mean, will explode. This just becomes totally weird and bizarre really quick. So, so we've been able to amass $34 trillion of debt as a country because we're the reserve currency of the world, right? We were the petrodollar, all oil settlements, all international settlements traded in US dollars, built in demand for our currency, whether we wanted it or not, because other countries were doing stuff, right? So, mm -hmm. so now here's where I'm not, I'm truly not in the, in the world of predicting, but there's stuff happening on a timeline that's actually happening right underneath our nose, right? So, so January 1st, what was that? What, eight days ago? The BRICS nations, you know, which they set in motion on August 22nd through 24th of 2023, when Putin said they were gonna de-dollarize the world, how, how could they do that? Well, they added Saudi Arabia and United Arab Emirates back in August. Now they added Egypt, Ethiopia, Argentina, Iran. It's like Iran into the BRICS nations. So what has Iran been doing since then? Well, they're flexing big and they're saying, hey, OPEC, you got to cut production of oil, right? Because that's going to cause the price to go up. Why would they want that? If price of oil goes up, then people are going to spend less when they're tapped out, right? No they're going to spend about the same on oil because everything in the world that we use basically is oil, whether it's plastics or rubber tires on electric vehicles or you're heating your home or car driving or and flying, right? Everything uses oil. So, so who's the recipient? The oil producers who are now the oil producers, six of the nine largest ones in the world are part of the BRICS nations, right? So, so here's where this is going to be a net benefit to them a net drain on the United States and, and Europe because we're not stinking oil independent. We're dependent on foreign oil, which is them, right? So when one fell swoop, they dismantled the petrodollar, they dismantled demand for the US dollar, which means they're gonna have to print money like there's no tomorrow to fund the debt ceiling talks, which are coming up again real soon, to fund, oh, Social Security, Medicare, which are very underfunded, right? They're they're undercapitalized in a, in a world where we we talk about all this global debt, Pete and Craig. It's like tons of it. You know, the the IMF came out last week with their numbers for 2023. The total government debt globally is 97.1 trillion. 97.1. So what's America's debt? 34 trillion. It's like nuts. We're like 35% of all global debt in one country. And we could manage that when we're the reserve currency of the world and we had built in demand for our currency. We can't manage that anymore because the, the, the reserve currency just changed to the BRICS nations for all intents and purposes. Like well, not man. completely, but the BRICS nations comprise at least Here's, somewhere between 50 and 70% of the world's population. Here's that's a, a big trading block that's no longer going to be using the dollar for oil settlement. This is a big deal. And we can't sustain that debt, which means 
to further, you know, the conversation that Craig and I were having, systemic change. They've got to change the monetary order of the world. And sadly, it's not going to be us. I mean, that's the sad reality. Now, and look at that visual representation, everybody, uh, of what Dr. Kirk just said. The United States is right here. I mean, um, you know, if, if we were, if this were a soccer ball, you know, we'd have almost half of it, would, wouldn't we, of the total uh, global debt. And interestingly enough, at the bottom of the article uh, on Natural News, uh, Mike Adams write the, 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 writes the fuse is on a slow burn, but at some point uh, the debt powder keg will absolutely blow. Now, um, Craig, how is the U.S. dollar doing? And by the way, at 8.30, is this that, that moment in time where uh, the, the data uh, drops in? Uh, so two-part question. Your data hits right at about 8.30? Yeah, most of the economic data comes through at 8.30. Um, mm -hmm. we, um, today, we don't have a lot of data. Early in the week, we're, we're light-loaded to the front end of the week. Later in the week, we get Thursday, we get U.S. CPI. Um, we get a lot of CPI data. Tokyo had CPI data come out um, yesterday. Tonight, we'll get Australian CPI. Uh, Thursday, we're going to get U.S. CPI. And then Friday, we'll get... Uh, U.S. purchasing managers and or producer price index, and then Thursday night actually we'll also get China PPI or China CPI, which is which isn't you know it's hard to know if we can trust that or not. So again, we throw China into the mix and we throw you know that whole equation in there because we haven't talked much about China and and this transfer that Dr. Kurtz referring to. You know where is this transfer of of you know the new currency and so forth. But taking it back to the dollar, the, the dollar is. You know, in my opinion, right, like the dollar has taken a hit this year, right? End of last year, we had a nice had a nice move up through, you know, March, April of last year into say August, September. And that was against everybody who was saying the dollar was going down. And then we get into, you know, the Fed pivot and we get into the CPI data. Between the CPI and the Fed, you know, we had two huge hits to the dollar, right? So back down, you know, about a six, seven, eight percent hit to the dollar. Right now, the dollars, as far as I'm concerned, if we break a dollar on the dollar basket, you know, one hundred, then we start to look at the dollars being problematic from a technical quantitative standpoint. If we start to break 95, we've got real problems. So those are my key points that I'm looking at to, to, you know, for the dollar. And so again, we get, you know, we get the CPI date on Thursday, is the dollar going to get another hit to it, right? Are we going to start to pierce that hundred on the dollar basket? Because right now the dollar is hovering right around, I don't know, what, what are we at 102 or something like that. So it's, um, you know, right around 102, 14. So again, the big, a big level, you know, from the harmonics that I look at 99.81 would be a big level for us to get to in the dollar. There's a lot of things that are kind of stranded right now. The dollar's stranded, the metals are stranded, the bond market's stranded, a lot of currency markets are, crude oil's stranded. There's a lot of markets right now we don't have a lot to lean against. So, you know, we're looking for something here to, to, to complete a harmonic so we have something to lean against. You know, silver would be one that would be nice to see it lean against. The dollar might be one. If we got 99.81, what happens at 99.81? Does it break it? Or does it hold there? That would be a significant thing for my world is to give us a benchmark is, you know, so when Dr. Kirk's saying, if we break 99.81, I'm totally in his camp, right? We break 95, 
you know, we start to, we start to really get in that champ of the dollars cooked, you know, I mean, we're at that point, you know, now I can make a case for the other side. That's what I always try to do is making a case for why the dollar could go up as well. I know it's hard. It's getting harder to do that, but there is a case to be made, you know, and so we could cover that at some point if we want, but. You know, we've been watching the uh, mass purchases country, central banks buying up gold. All right. Another thing I'm looking at just from a novice's perspective is what, uh, where, where are they buying, but not buying, making purchases, but basically taking, getting away from cash, Dr. Kirk, and buying stuff. You know what I see that as, especially as they know that the monetary system is collapsing, like coming up with a new one. I call it conversion. Uh, they're moving away from what they know is gonna be a tremendous loss. And you can lock it, like you buy some dirt, you buy some land, it's gonna maintain its value. You know, outside of like gold and silver making big purchases by central banks of, of gold, uh, do you look at that? I mean, is it conversion or is it like, for instance, Bitcoin? Oh man, Bitcoin's exploding and they're out there saying, a lot, there's a lot of chatter out there saying, oh yeah, with the downfall of the dollar, there's an increase in the, you know, stupid moves with Boeing. I don't see it that way. I don't trust that that upswing there. I see it as a potential way to steal from us, right? Well, you don't know who owns Bitcoin for crying out loud. And so so the funny thing about it, Bitcoin is he's got BlackRock. By the way, can I just interject real, real quick? It's not anonymous. It's not, I mean, somebody can control that thing. Everybody sees the ledger. You have access to it. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, you, you look at it and BlackRock is wanting to start a, a crypto, basically Bitcoin ETF, right? So it's going to the SEC for a vote. I mean, this is, to me, this is just supply and demand. It, it's, I don't know if it has much to do with the dollar. I think it's just, wow, you're going to have an ETF. So every 401k IRA on the planet can now invest into cryptocurrency through a paper version of it which which before you had to get some kind of a weird coin wallet and it was illiquid and you couldn't get get out of it and i mean it's easy to cut people off from buying or selling when it's digital like they did with the russians right so coin wallet um coinbase actually said hey anybody who has a russian ip address you can't get your cryptocurrency it's like what and people said yay good job coinbase this is awesome you're sticking it to the russians right well put expand the story what if it's Christians? It's like, what if we don't like the church that you give to? We're not going to let you do Or what if we don't like the gas guzzling truck that you're putting gas into? I was like, well, we're not going to let you access it either. Or what if they don't like it that you donated to the, uh, to the Trump campaign or any campaign that's against what their globalist agenda is? Well, then they, they cut you off from there too. So, so don't take it as like, this is a, a victory because we cut the Russians off from their money on, on Coinbase and all their cryptocurrency wallets. It's like, this isn't an, an attack on our freedom, right? Which is, which is why the central banks of the world are actually getting rid of paper currency. They're just getting rid of it, right? Our empty money supply is going away. Um, in exchange for something digital that's really, really, really easy, guys, to cut you off from buying or selling if they don't like you. Especially when when you look at that legislation from 08 where they changed the ownership from them, from you to them, right? So they could get rid of it when they want to. Couple that with the bill 
or not, it's not a bill. It's like an administrative ruling from the Bank for International Settlements in 2023, where they unleashed their stupid unified ledger. Be good grief. The unified ledger is tokenization of all of your assets, stocks, bonds, real estate, mutual funds, cash, all of that into one packet where they can say, hey, let's change the ownership on it. Why do we have precedent? Because it was passed into law in the United States in 2008 after the big crisis, right? Where, where they changed the, the rules for bankruptcy for financial institutions to protect them, not to protect us. Yeah. It was to protect them yeah. from, from massive, massive derivatives exposure and losses. They put it on us, which is the same kind of thinking of a bail-in tax. Right. Yeah. So that's the same methodology behind a bail in tax instead of a bailout where the government, you know, basically buys everybody out. No, they're still buying them out, but it's with us, with our taxpayer dollars, with our deposits. I mean, because yeah, it's our institutions, right? It's our bank. We have we have a vested interest in making sure that J.P. Morgan Chase or Bank of America, whoever we bank with, stays in business. So therefore, why don't you just do a bail in tax? Better yet, don't even call it a stinking tax. Mm. Just change the law to have you be a beneficial owner so they can take it whenever they want to. That's how insidious this whole problem is. Is is it not, uh, and either of you could um, uh, could answer this, I don't like picking on, you know, like, uh, for instance, the jobs producers that become a billionaire. I mean, I'm all about, you know, that level of, I'm talking about the upper echelon where there's five families, one example, they always make a decision. Oh my goodness, we're going to go ahead and create an auto industry, right? Although we've got a lot of horses and buggies, we've created an auto industry. Well, not everybody can create an auto industry. Uh, where did all the horses go? You know, and we had no choice. I mean, seriously, think about it. How we they created the auto industry, mass produced it, uh, you know, and and through war. And then uh, I want to know, Craig, where did the, all the horses go? And who made a decision to wipe that entire thing out and we're left holding the bag? There was, right? I mean, you see what I mean? You can use that analogy. I'm, you know, I use a lot of analogies, but these are the cartoons that I have in my head. I'm like, where did all the freaking horses go? We had, we were a horse and buggy one minute and somebody came up with a great idea to mass produce, which is awesome. It's a very innovative, but they're the ones that are doing the same thing, uh, like AI technology, so on and so forth. The select few at the top say, oh, we're going this way. Here we go. And we're down here left holding the bag. Yeah. Well, and that's the appeal to cryptocurrency, right? Is that, you know, it basically fractures the banking system theoretically, right? And, but I'm kind of in the camp with Dr. Kirk in the sense of, you know, governments can regulate cryptocurrency, whether we think so or not. You know, they can come down, they can, it can be militarily controlled, it can be economically controlled in some fashion it, because it's right to be able, it's on the platform where that can happen. Now, you can store it offline, you know, there's a lot, I, I understand all that. The beauty of gold and silver is you can physically hold it, right? You can hang on to it, you can touch it, you can hold it. It's been a store of value for a long time. The big thing I'd like to ask Dr. Kirk is, you know, at this point in time, you know, going into 2024, you know, as we we could be facing another false flag, we could be facing, you know, election turmoil, you know, global unrest, you know, no matter which way it, it goes, right, whether it goes in the camp of, you know, the conservative or, you know, the liberal or, you know, and, and let's even forget about the whole political 
two sides. But where would be a good asset allocation, you know, for silver and gold? Like if someone had a hundred thousand dollars, you know, I wouldn't say I would you probably wouldn't recommend completely dropping, you know, bonds and stocks, you know, but where would be an allocation? What would that look like for you guys? Well, it's a, it's a really good question. Everybody's different and I'm, I'll answer that, but I'm still thinking about Pete's question of where did I'll, what, what about the horses? <laughs> so, yeah. so John, John Rich, you remember the, you guys remember the, Pete, uh, let's see, John Rich with Big and Rich. He wrote that song, save a horse and ride a cowboy. It's all yeah. I can think about. All right. When you were saying that, it's like, well, you got to save a horse, just ride the cowboy. Right. So anyways, but isn't that a good question? But the, the, the point is who made that decision? It's a very small group of people, right. That, that made that decision and said, Oh my goodness. Well, this thing's falling apart. Well, whose fault is it that it fell apart? And could we be a little bit more or less volatile in our transition to your new system? You know? yeah, so I, I think, you know, in, in answering Craig's question, it's those same people that kind of tell us what we should do, right? So, you, for example, you look at what Warren Buffett did a few weeks ago. He sold $27 billion of his own stock, right? He's just sitting in cash. And why? Because he doesn't see that there's a good outcome here for the, for the markets. Mm -hmm. You know, he's just getting out of Dodge. And his own CFO and the own people of his own company said, well, yeah, we're getting out. The stock market's at like these extreme valuations right now. We want to buy low and sell high. We're going to get out and we're gonna, just going to sit in cash. I wouldn't sit in that much cash. I mean, good grief, that's a lot of cash when banks are failing and they're undercapitalized. But he's Warren Buffett. He'll persuade the banks to make sure that he gets his money, even if we don't. Right. Oh, so course, yes. so um, what's he going to do? Well, He's no, no surprise. He's a value based investor. That's he wrote books about this. He likes to buy companies at huge, massive discounts. And then, you know, he's the savior, right? He bought these companies when they couldn't afford to survive. And then he just makes an absolute fortune going forward. So he's expecting a huge collapse. So we look at that and answer Craig's question. It's like, what is a proper allocation? I have very little in the markets like not actually me personally, but this is a question that every individual has to ask themselves. How much income do you need, right? What kind of a diversification mix gives you peace of mind when you put your head down on the pillow at night? So here's, here's a, it's not a rhetorical question, but I've got clients that call in and they're like scared silly. And they say, Kirk, we have to buy silver. We have to buy gold. We have to go into precious metals because I'm afraid that the stock markets are going to collapse. And, and, and I don't know if I'm afraid that my money in the bank isn't going to be there. And I'm just scared, right? This is normal conversation every single day, hundreds of times a day with all of my consultants at my, my firm, right? So, so then we say, well, so how much do you, are you thinking of wanting to position into metals? I don't know. My, my broker told me maybe five or 10% at most. It's like, what? Five or 10%? You're scared silly because you're afraid the markets are gonna collapse and you're still gonna keep 95% of it over there? Yeah. Why? Mm -hmm. Why? I mean, that makes no sense to me. It makes zero sense. So I would over allocate into strength. Right now I would do silver for, for numerous reasons. And again, it's really hard to answer that question, but I could answer it for me. With my situation, 
I'm 100% into silver. <laughs> um, oh, wow. Now, other people that need income, you can't do that. Silver and gold aren't income producing assets, right? Wow. So everybody's different and you have to play that. But but if, if for me personally, I'm 100% into silver because nothing else makes sense for, for numerous reasons. A, you've got this move kind of where fiat-based money is becoming more and more worthless globally as they print the living daylights out of it. B, we've got a trillion dollars worth of debt and interest payments on our debt at 34 trillion. So trillion dollars there. You can't cover that with, with current taxes. There's no, you can't raise taxes enough to cover our obligations. I mean, it's, it's we've, we've gone past the point of critical mass. So, so what's left? Higher rates for longer is, is what's left. Because if you start to lower rates like what Yellen and Jerome Powell said they're going to do, that's like, oh, we can pause this time and we're going to start cutting rates next year. No, you can't because you haven't won the war on inflation. You, you simply can't. You can do it once to actually save face and show the world, yeah, we lowered rates because we said we were going to do it, but they're going to have to raise because inflation keeps persisting, especially with the BRICS nations taking away demand from the dollar. We're going to have to print our way out of it. So what does that do? What is the normal policy mechanism for a central bank to slow down inflation? Either A, they stop printing money. Nah, that's not going to happen. They, they need the stimulus money. They need everything because nobody else is funding it. Or B, you raise interest rates to slow down inflation. So... I would go with the with the mantra that we've been hearing lately, higher for longer, right? I think we might get a couple of dinky little rate cuts. It's going to be much higher than what it has been, maybe lower than what it is today by 50 basis points. But it's going to stay at this high level, which is going to pinch everybody. See, this is their catch-22, Craig. If you lower interest rates, inflation is going to skyrocket. If you keep raising interest rates or keep them where they are, you, you create this massive recession. Oof, not a good outcome either way, right? So they're, they're caught. So when they're caught and there's not a good solution, I go with the only solution I know, tangible assets. It's hard to manipulate inventory. Either you have it or you don't. And they tend to go up in times of crisis like what we're seeing. Yeah. Well, I think that gets back to the horses, right? You know, where are the horses? You know, the, the uh, that's where you're putting your horses. You know what I mean? And where's the rest of the world putting their horses? You know, and that's the key, you know, is not so much what the people at the top. That's, you know, we, we're getting out of that paradigm of, you know, everybody's controlling what we are doing as a mass society. I mean, that's part of why this show and other shows like this, you know, where people are trying to figure it out for themselves, what does matter. And so instead of, you know, following the electronic vehicle horse or the, you know, these new innovations, you know, the key is probably, we probably are entering a period of time where you got to pull your horses back in the stable a little bit and, you know, and figure out what's right for you, you know, and because if we let the next event, right? The next event could be big. That's, that's the big, that's my big concern is that this year we need to start preparing for that because the event could be big, you know, and, and, and that's, that's why I asked that question of what is a, a good allocation. It's good to hear a hundred percent silver in some senses, you know, it, it, you know, like you said, everyone needs to figure it out for themselves, but that, that is, um, that's interesting. And we're always trying to out, outpace them, outrun them. And I'm talking the upper, 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 you know, echelon, of course, 
Uh, they design a new system. I want to read this uh, this this great article. Actually, the the end game, and and it's this one paragraph as it stated: never before has a system benefited so few at the great expense of so many. Um, if this is not inherently unstable and unsustainable, um, physical control as opposed to rule by deception requires enormous energy. Um, can this be sustained while destroying all economies abusing and abusing all people globally? They do not know how to build back better. Look at their footprint around the world, the destruction, the economic uh, devastation. You know, through the wars, uh, this rinse and repeat, and I hear some of these progressives standing at the podium talking about Hegel, you know, they, they will create a crisis uh, so that they can benefit so heavily out of a crisis. Um, wars, look at BlackRock and all of those um, entities that were hovering before the country was, was even on its last breath yet. They were already talking about rebuilding it, right? Um, now, now, you know, we're looking at the, the Pacific Theater. But anyways, that's a big jumbled pile of questions. But very simply put, you know, uh, where what is the new horse? AI technology, for instance, they're already talking about, well, everyone's going to be out of a job. There's going to be a shift. And then they're talking about this this new uh, de, what is it, decarbonization or whatever. They're trying to create their own currency, economy, and system, plus AI technology. And again, all the horses will be obsolete, right? Where yeah. do we go? What's the I'm, end game, I'm, and how can we outpace them? Well, you outpace them, for me, is what, what are the commodities, what are the things that they're going to need to accomplish their goal? Right. So if it's solar, if it's solar panels, it's like, okay, that needs silver. If it's fuel cell technology, here's the cool thing. Used to be platinum that was needed in fuel cells. The research has just been finished. Some, I don't know, research university. I can't remember the one said, no, we can now use silver. Right. Good grief. If you are a manufacturer doing fuel cells for like Tesla or all the electric vehicles or whatever, and you needed platinum, and now you can exchange it for silver instead of a thousand dollars an ounce, pay $25 an ounce. What would you choose as a manufacturer? It's like, okay, I'll choose the cheap one. Right. So I think the demand for silver could go up like 10 X. Right. And, and with everything that they're doing, everything that they're doing, we can't really stop it, you know, individually, but what we can do is identify what they need, the components that they need to accomplish their goal. Well, we invest in it. Same you reason. That just amplifies our position, Pete. I'm not, just, I'm not investing in it to help them. I'm investing because they're going to try to get their way. I'm investing in silver because it's a great asset. It's a it's a way to maintain our freedom. You can use it for barter in a worst-case scenario. But it, their, their desire to accomplish our goals are going to cause the price to go through the roof. Okay, so, so this is where I distrust um, like the cryptocurrencies, because the natural reaction would be like the central banks, for instance, started buying up a ton, tonnage, hundreds of tons of gold, right? What's causing the flight to cryptocurrency and why isn't silver and, and gold at 
you know, at 10 X, right? Why are they going to cryptocurrency? I don't trust that because you would think that, that this, you know, smart money is on, on hard, you know, physical, uh, gold and silver. Yes. The smart money is. Yeah. That's why central banks are massing it by the thousands of tons. How is, right? gold, how is gold doing? Gold was up 17% last year, which is amazing given, given the world that we're living in. Right. So, and it's only going to get better. I mean, that's like the beginning of a cycle, right? So when you've got central banks amassing thousands of tons, China has over 5,000 tons. Uh, Russia has a thousand tons. India, Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan all have like somewhere between 200 and 600 tons each. The let's see who else united states our federal reserve has 8500 tons the european central bank has 10,500 tons we're not talking about ounces or pounds we're talking about tons it's a lot right so why to what end why are they doing that well maybe they know that there are two possible reasons number one they're going to central bank digital currency they want to be the world's reserve currency and they say hey we're backstopping ours with gold because they know that the mass population of the world wants something that's real and tangible. So, hey, their carrots looking pretty nice. Let's invest in theirs. Or they realize that mm, there's going to be massive opposition to what we're bringing with central bank digital currency. So let's have a plan B. Let's back up our currency with gold. We want to be the world's reserve currency, right? So so we, we've talked about this before, Pete. Um, Texas has pending legislation for a state chartered bank backed by gold. You know what what happened yesterday? Mm. Oklahoma doing the same thing. Oh, really? Wow. A gold and, gold and silver vault in Oklahoma to match what Texas is wanting to do. It's like, seriously, states are starting to oppose the federal system. FDIC, the FedNow app, the Federal Reserve, say we want something that's tangible, something that's real. We want control, which the founding fathers would be, you know, basically cheering and in their graves, right? Because that's like, this is the, this is federalism the way that we wanted it. If states can do something, then they should. If the states can't do it and it's only, you know, the, the federal government can do it, like maybe a national defense and states have no right to do it. So this is federalism. Is banking something that can be done at the state level or does that have to be federal? No, it can be done at the state level. So this is the way that the founding fathers envisioned it is competition of currency, right? So you don't have one big monopoly of currency that has the, mm -hmm. the ultimate power to control. That's not good. Yeah. And doc, Dr. Kirk, we have um, uh, a, a few moments here. Uh, you can, I don't want to speak to the specifics because you know, the goon squad is going to try to bust us up, of course, cut our phone line so that we don't talk. If there is such a thing, we're wireless, of course. But have I not been pestering you within the past week or so about silver? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And you have. Yeah. And, and, and it, because, you know, everyone has to make their own decision. But also, you're feeling a level of anxiety. Again, uh, who was it that said it? Was it Craig or, or you, Dr. Kirk, that said, why do you have a uh, 5 10% allocation? when we're talking about where your money is, 95% of your money is in an area that everybody knows is going to fall apart. It is. So increase your allocation. But I want to tell everybody, um, 
not what to do, just share with you um, what I do. See that number across the bottom, 720. Oh, my goodness, I can't see it. It's 605-3900, right? And yep. increase your allocation. And it's actually uh, affordable in units, you know, buying, you know, one full ounce of gold versus one full ounce of silver. It's for everybody, right? I had somebody tell me close to me that said, I'm pulling my 401k. And they made the decision on their own from the conversations that we've had. That's awesome. I mean, this is everybody's individual decision, right? You have to do what's best for you. My recommendation in the world that's falling apart, stop listening to the mainstream media narrative. Mm -hmm. Stop hearing that, oh, Biden's doing great. Bidenomics is awesome. They're creating jobs. They've won the war on inflation. No, they haven't. And no, they haven't. Jobs, the job scenario is is the worst that we've seen. The jo new job numbers that came out last week, some of the worst ever, right? like a million and a half jobs lost. And so they're not creating jobs. But how would they how would they manipulate it to say that they are, even though they're not? Easy. Let's say you worked at Honeywell, you're an engineer, make 150 grand a year, they lay you off. So then you have to feed your family. So I've got to go work at Taco Bell, I gotta work at Wendy's, and I gotta work at McDonald's. <laughs> Working more hours than I worked before, but now my total income is half of what I used to make. They would count that losing one job, gaining three, gaining two plus jobs, right? But the income is half of what it used to be. So they would call that a, a net result of two jobs being created. In essence, it's 50% of the income that was reduced. I mean, this is bad, right? But this is how they manipulate the numbers. And I don't believe any of them because people aren't working. I, I can I can look around. It's not like the, the stores in, in Main Street, Denver, are, are all of a sudden saying, so no, no, no jobs available right now. Um, we, we've got everybody that we need. No, if the business is still in business and there's not a for lease sign on the building, that's a, it says for hire, they can't find people to work. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, Dr. Kirk, um, I, I, I put everybody the number across the bottom of the screen and I love his approach, his consultations because everybody's got questions especially me. So that's what I'm trying to encourage you to do. You can't, you're not going to be harmed by picking up the phone, calling, and then, because everybody's situation is different, of course. Yeah. Dr. Craig, Dr. Kirk, um, uh, uh, Dr. Craig, <laughs> did I call you Dr. Craig? <laughs> sure. Data came out. What, what are you seeing right now with the, um, the morning bell, the open of the stock market coming up? Yeah, well, um, so I'll cover that real quick. And then what I'd like to do is just put this in the light of what Dr. Kirk's saying in terms of the price and the charts. We'll take a look at some long-term charts here real quick on a couple of these things we've talked about today. But the, um, the yesterday we saw Bostic, he's one of the Fed members, come out about midday, right? That was one of our big talking points of the week. We have two Fed speakers in the U.S. And then we have the uh, Bank of England, uh, Governor Bailey, who's expected to speak. We were looking at those to see what kind of talk they put out this week, right? And so yesterday, Boston came out. We had just a massive recovery rally yesterday in the stock market, um, you know, four or 500 points in the Dow, which is just, and it was straight up, you know. So it's getting very concerning to me because we're seeing, you know, as we approach the end of the year, we have this massive run up in the stock market, the, the strongest I've ever seen in terms of that interval of time, 
you know, so I've seen bigger moves in my, you know, 30 years of doing this, but you know, that was the strongest move I've seen in such a short period of time. And so now we're seeing the same thing yesterday, the same kind of activity where we see this massive run up. So that's what we're watching in the stocks, right? If we take a look, I want to take a quick look over here at gold. And this is gold from 1980. You can see here we have 1980 um, right there. We have 2001, so right around, you know, the 9-11. And then here's 2011 when it hit a major peak back in here. And you can see we're trading against this trend channel, right, that we've established. And so this is concerning, right? This gold's on the on the verge of breaking out on the upside. It doesn't mean it can't come back down in here and retest this, this channel. But at this point right now, you know, this is the big concern up in here, you know, is the, um, you know, this, this, four times we're touching the upper this upper channel so that's one big concern in gold gold looks like if, of all the markets it's it's the one that's most ready to run if we take a quick look at silver here here's silver this is the big run up in the 1980s when the hunt brothers tried to corner it right we get a bottoming back here in 1992 a big long base that occurs 2011 again that same kind of spike we just saw that, that created the upper end of that channel in gold we see the same thing here in silver and now we're basically trading right in the center of this big long-term range this you know 40-year range 50-year range that we're looking at here so this is the big thing we're looking at this little wedge to see which way does silver go you know obviously you know if the metals start to go this that's what we're looking at and then let's take one quick look here at the dollar because the dollar is what makes a lot of this stuff tick right dollar goes up commodities tend to go down dollar goes down commodities tend to go up so if we look back around 2000 here in the dollar right this is looking back into night this so this is 1985 right back in here this is 2000 up in here so we get this 2000 then we get to 2008 we create this low down in here and now we've got this wedge building and the dollar is actually on the upside of this wedge we're going to look very closely here at this level um this time frame right in here is what i'm looking at so this you know, mid 2024 to late 2024 is the point where we could really see this dollar establish itself. As long as it stays above this this area, you know, um, what we call a converging triangle, this area right in here, as long as it stays above this, the dollar's bullish, right? But that's at 95. So you can see I said 98, 99.80 is our first level of the dollar. If it breaks that, we've got some problems. If we break this 95, the dollar's in big trouble. So those are the big things I'm looking at in terms of perspective, you know, in, in, in the light of what Dr. Kirk said. So you can, you know, get a picture in your head of what this looks like and, and what an allocation looks like for you. Dr. Kirk, um, great, great segment. Awesome segment. Uh, things are going to get uh, hot and heavy, I, I think, here in the coming uh, weeks for many different reasons that we've already uh, discussed. So that's why there's a focus in this direction and there's a direct, direct correlation between all the stupid stuff we're seeing in the news that keeps us distracted and and what's happening with our wealth being offshored. Um, but uh, thank you very much, Dr. Kirk, for, for joining us. Thank you, everyone. Make sure you, you dial that telephone number, uh, contact Dr. Kirk for a consultation. And um, Craig, we will be doing a segment tomorrow full segment first thing is that correct yeah okay excellent yeah. guys thank you very very much very much deb jordan deb jordan is not has not done a oh i'm sorry to catch you off guard That's okay. sorry about that I'm all sure. right
Uh, all right, so this is what we're going to do for the remaining balance of the show. Uh, last night, Deb Jordan, you heard uh, Dr. Judy Mikovits. I did, yes. Um, yes, yes. Hold on one second. I got to turn you on. Sorry about that. Okay. Um, a lot of a lot of switching and and recombobulation going on here. Um, mm-hmm. So so good last morning. last night. Good morning. Hi. How are you? Good. Okay. Last night, what Dr. Judy Mikovits dropped multiple multiple bombs. Okay, and that yeah. led me to a discovery that we're going to talk about after we take a break here, and that is I'm starting to understand. Uh, and Craig is in the he's in the green room right now. Did I send you the link on Taiwan's bioweapons lab, Craig? Um, yeah, I did. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I didn't even know that the U.S. was encouraging uh, Taiwan. Now, if you remember, we just got done with Ukraine, right? right. Russia's going in there dismantling their bioweapons program. Then they ask Victoria Nuland. Are there bioweapons labs there? And she's like, well, we're just doing it for preventative. Right? right. Do you trust them at all? Level, you know what a level four lab is? I, I, it's, it sounds ominous, though. A level four <laughs> lab is to contain um, pathogens and viruses that there okay. is not a cure for. Okay? Right. Level four. Meaning, mm-hmm. if that thing gets out, everybody dies. So they have to they have to contain it and process it. So the United States encouraged, quote unquote, Taiwan, and in the same fashion uh, uh, that they encouraged Ukraine, I'm sure they set up a treaty in 2006, saying, "Oh, it's yours," but the U.S. military is going to oversee the whole thing. Right mm-hmm. there, we are at the front doorstep with a bioweapons lab. No wonder why China wants to go in there and is brazenly telling Biden, we're going in there and we're going to dismantle that stupid uh, uh, weapons lab. So they they have a, it's called a, a P4, you know, in Taiwan. Now, right. that's above and beyond what Dr. Judy Mikovits described. She actually, let me, let me just tell you before we go to our break here, okay, let me, let me tell you how significant this was and I'm going to. I'm going to play that when when um, I'm going to get to her interview uh, and play that for the majority of the next hour. Okay, but let me tell you some of the stuff that she said. She gave instructions to all university students mm-hmm. to stay out of the labs. Right. She said, "Stay out of the labs." She said, "You'll never see Fauci in one of those university labs." He'll be in a fake laboratory with a white lab coat, but he doesn't notice how, isn't that true? You don't see Hillary Clinton, who's pictured with all those NIH representatives. You don't see her in a lab. By the way, she's a walking virus. (laughs) Anyways. um, A walking lab leak. A walking lab leak. Yes. (laughs) Uh, But, but she said, get out the message she put out was get out of the university labs. And she's a top molecular biologist. She knows what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and it's very, very um, strategic. They want to kill all the most you know, uh, the valuable and smartest of God's creations. And she's also telling the public, 
stay away from a grocery store with a pharmacy in it. I'm like, why? Because of the shedding of the vaccines that they're stockpiling in these pharmacies. And and they have the clinics that where they're, you know, actively giving people the vaccines right there. Yeah. And, and there's and a bunch of shedding, shedding going yeah. on there, right? Yeah. Um, so, so that was huge. And the positive side of it is that she described in that bombshell interview, and it was supposed to be less than an hour, and it went for two hours. It did. She did not stop. Mm-hmm. And I think it was the first time that she had put so much stuff into one interview. Mm-hmm. She has all of the quote-unquote evidence, all right? Uh, she was jailed by Fauci because she refused to, to release her, her writings. Right. Uh, there were disks that were given to the FBI, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there was extortion uh, in order to get her out. He had to provide uh, the government with what they wanted. And we're not even going to say U.S. government, just the people that have been hijacking our government. But he gave, right before he died, a deathbed confession that he had everything. Her husband. That's right. Her husband had all the documentation right before he died. He gave it to her. There was a little note in one of the boxes. Mm -hmm. So she has all of the evidence of everything that she's alleged. And she alleged that she worked in, and in fact did work in, the Fort Detrick uh, Army Bioweapons Lab. She basically blew out the thought of a Wuhan lab leak. She goes, it wasn't a leak. We delivered it to them, right? Right. It was intentionally released, she said. That's what she says. And she was adamant about it, okay? Mm-hmm. These people are evil. Uh, they're going to just continue to escalate. She knows their methodology. Uh, she knows their research and AIDS, right? Mm-hmm. Was actually a way to figure out how to propagate AIDS, okay, yes. the HIV virus. Right. Right? Mm-hmm. They said, oh, there should be no problem with injecting these people with the uh, AIDS virus. And they knew what they were doing because she had done the research as to what impact it would have on human beings, right? And they intentionally injected people that they said, for instance, Fauci said, oh, women are, pregnant women aren't going to be impacted by this. Let's inject. And a portion uh, of the ingredients on what they were injecting uh, them with was the HIV virus. Um, it's she, a very passionate interview, I have to say. So let's go to a break here, and we will be back in just a a few minutes. Wow. Let's go, Brandon. Oh, there's All right, you guys. What is that? Really? Jumping down the coast. In order to form. 
Excited to announce my new product, My Coffee. I get products all the time from entrepreneurs for my new platform, MyStore.com. And when I tried my coffee for the first time, I was blown away. It is the best coffee I've ever had in my life. I spent the last four months. I'm excited to announce that we're having our biggest Christmas sale ever. You get our brand new six-piece My Towels for only $29.98. Or rejuvenate your bed with a My Pillow mattress topper as low as $99.99. With key ingredients supported by over 80 clinical trials. The exclusive formulation of the Bella Brace Elixir is changing lives everywhere. Ingesting collagen peptides alone is not very helpful. This is where most products fall short and where Bella Grace changes everything. Unlike other products, the Bella Grace Elixir controls the gene switches which activate collagen creation and disables the enzymes that break down the matrix. Bella Grace Elixir contains Verisol, the world's best and most clinically studied form of collagen. These elite collagen peptides influence the skin's collagen metabolism directly from the inside. Nature's most powerful antioxidant. 6,000 times more potent than vitamin C. Astereal astaxanthin prevents the activation of gene switches that drive inflammation and activates the gene switch responsible for cellular repair and longevity, forming bridges across cell membranes, protecting them from free radical attack. Amazonian cat's claw suppresses the enzymes that degrade collagen and our skin matrix caused by oxidants and inflammation. It simply turns the switch off. The world's most studied collagen, plus activating the genes that make collagen, plus switching off the genes that break down collagen, has resulted in something the world has never experienced. The Bella Grace Elixir. Start your 30-day Bella Grace Challenge today. With key ingredients supported by over 80 clinical trials, the exclusive formulation of the Bella Grace Elixir is changing lives everywhere. Ingesting collagen peptides alone is not very helpful. This is where most products fall short and where Bella Grace 
changes everything. She's supposed to be the safest placeholders for cash in the world. But in 2022, that changed. The Federal Reserve pulled out $2.5 trillion of liquidity out of the banks. And the Fed also changed the requirements so banks don't need to keep any funds on hand. This means banks are starved for liquidity and have now become very dangerous places to hold your assets. Get out of the system with the world's safest and most private assets, silver and gold. Call Kirk Elliott, Ph.D. at 720-605-3900. Be sure to tell him Pete Santilli sent you. Hello, I'm Mike Lindell, and I'm excited to announce my new product, My Coffee. I get products all the time from entrepreneurs for my new platform, MyStore.com. And when I tried my coffee for the first time, I was blown away. It is the best coffee I've ever had in my life. I spent the last four months doing my due diligence, and this family-owned business micromanages every step from the fields to the cup to ensure the best quality coffee you're ever going to have. It starts with the beans that are grown in Honduras. Honduras's volcanic soil and humid climate make the perfect growing conditions for coffee plants, which produce the best beans ever. Then each batch is tested for its aroma, taste, and other aspects to meet the highest standards in the coffee industry. And after that, it goes into production, which is all done right here in the USA. It's like you're getting that small batch specialty coffee, but delivered right to your front door. So go to mystore.com or call the number on your screen. Use the promo code and you'll get your very own My Coffee for 25% off. You guys all know that I've traveled the country for the past year and a half. I've stayed in hundreds of hotels. I've tried every coffee out there. Well, some of the coffees have that terrible aftertaste, some that leave me jittery, or I get an upset stomach. Well, my coffee is different. It's the richest, smoothest, best coffee I've ever had. My coffee comes in a variety of flavors. You get them ground or whole bean, plus it's certified organic and non-GMO. I guarantee it'll be the best coffee you've ever had. So go to mystore.com or call the number on your screen. Use your promo code and you'll get my coffee for 25% off. And I'm going to give you deep discounts on all my store products. That's mystore.com. It's my new platform for USA entrepreneurs. Please order now. Rico, I'm going to make my piggy squeal. Here it goes for me and Lucy. Thank you so much. Bill Tennis to put Rico's life savings back in the piggy bank plus one. <laughs> Thank you with a $3 
uh, rumble, rumble rant. Do you guys like what we do? Do we do good work? Um, by the way, uh, when, when you, uh, Deb, when you said, oh, the data is wrong on the whatever, and uh -huh. on which platform, which, uh, yeah, I'm so agitated right That's now. That's okay. okay. It, it's on Rumble. People were confused. They didn't know whether it was live or, and, and I'll go in and change it here yeah, in just a second. I, I don't, uh, sorry. If you guys keep me pedaling away it, on the poverty rat wheel, we have zero staff. That's what you get. The wrong date. There you go. My typo, right? Mm. Um, that you get exactly what you pay for. There you go. Can you believe it's the ninth already, though? Huh? Can you believe it's the ninth it's already? It's the ninth. It says the ninth on there. I'm looking right at it, by the way. On your title? Yeah. Uh, Pete Santilli Show 3893-1924. What, 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 is it saying something different somewhere else? Mine is saying, unless you just fixed it or something, it's saying yeah, I don't, three, I don't know what. 3891 Zero yeah. one point. Yeah, I, I don't know what you're on right now. I don't know what you're looking at. You're looking at I'm maybe on a Rumble. different different episode. Right now, I'm looking at level four. What's the title? Level four U.S. government bioweapons lab in Taiwan. I Pete see thirty-eight ninety-three one nine twenty-four. Pete Santilli show mm -hmm. number thirty-eight ninety-one. Okay, I'm going to shut the yeah. show down and fix it. Point I'll be right back. <laughs> I mean, what do I do? I'm looking at one thing, you're looking at another. You want me to come over and see? What, here, hold on a second. I'll be right there. Yeah, come see. Okay, we'll just shut the show down. My goodness. What am I doing? I don't know. What is that? I don't, I don't know. Mm hmm Okay, mine doesn't look that way. Mine. Oh, I see. Thank what? you. Thank what? you. Nathan fixed it. Ah! I just have to refresh. Okay. Thank you, Nathan, for listening. Oh, thank <laughs> you so much. Thank you. People so were much. just confused when they came in, mm -hmm. and that's all. That's why it looks different for you. So refresh, if everyone. If you guys want to be less confused, please consider <laughs> supporting us with Rumble Rants yeah. by subscribing to us on our Locals channel. Um I wish I could say what I said after the show yesterday, but I'm not going to. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to. Hmm? Yeah. Well, I want to ask everybody to please uh, send your prayers to Angie. Mm -hmm. uh, I know you all love her. And, uh, you know, I mean, I'm not going to get into details, but she needs your prayer. Just know that I wouldn't ask if it wasn't important. So please pray for Angie this morning. And for Karen, Karen's uh, missing in action too. She's- uh, Amen, Chester, whatever it is. Hey, you know what? Uh, uh, amen, amen, Chester, okay, is screaming at me in the locals chat. Yeah? Why don't you post the date so we know if it's live or not? Sorry to disturb <laughs> your freaking consumption pleasure. What? What? <laughs> Oh, my God. Oh, man. I'll go fix that on Locals, too. Here, everybody, you know what we're going to do? Huh? You know what we're going to do? This is what we're going to do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow. Well, uh, there's many more people who are enjoying themselves this morning than not, so. You know what? I'm going to go enjoy myself. Hmm? 
breed coming. Oh, really? Yeah, Generation Alpha. Here, I'm just going to play this just because. Uh-huh. Young Gen Z teachers are talking about the poor behavior of Gen Alpha students, and some of y'all are finally starting to believe us when it comes to how much we miss the mark on raising these kids right. Because I have gray my hair and I'm 36 years old, people tend to tune me out as soon as I open my mouth when I start talking about these issues we're seeing in the classroom with our kids these days. So before I go on, why don't we... Review some, some of the evidence from some of the other creators on this app who might be a little bit more of a relatable age. This, this is my full group of crying teachers, and they are confused and frightened by the behavior of Gen Alpha. They're saying Gen Alpha is defiant, aggressive, disrespectful, and rude. Having to teach and work with you guys as children has been the most traumatic experience of my life. They don't respect any authority. You ask them, can you stand in your designated spot? They're telling you no and shut up. They're throwing things at each other. They're throwing things at other people, other classmates. You say, can everybody sit in their spot? I don't want to. I'm not doing that. You don't get to tell me what to do. You're not my mom. Like, I'm not even trying to be funny, but these kids are... I'm going to just say this. I teach February, they are still performing on the fourth grade level. I'm a middle school teacher. I'm also 22 years old. And I will tell you, by far, we are doomed. Like, these kids do not care. Like, I have kids. All they want to do all day long is the AI. Like, I need to ask millennials, um, why are your kids so awful? And more importantly, why do you think it's so funny? Your kids cannot read. They cannot write. They are ill-mannered. I've been trying to sound the alarm about Gen Alpha students and their poor behavior in the classrooms, as well as their literacy problems since May of last year, but because of my age and how I look, every time I make a video about these topics, I'll get people that have never worked with kids or have never spent a day in the classroom as an educator giving me lines like... A viral video making the rounds has utilized Google Earth's history tool to show what appears to be mass graves on Epstein's Island that were dug shortly after his arrest in 2006. In September of 2002, in the center of the island, Google Earth shows that there was nothing but a bare mound of Earth. In March of 2005, the Palm Beach, Florida police began investigating Epstein after a mother reported that he sexually abused her 14-year-old daughter. In July of 2006, Epstein was arrested by the Palm Beach Police Department on state felony charges of procuring a minor for prostitution. Hours later, he was released on a $3,000 bond. A few months later, in November of 2006, Google Earth shows that the previously bare mound has what appears to be mass graves freshly buried on top of it. During this time, Palm Beach County State Attorney Barry Christcher is accused of giving Epstein special treatment, and the FBI begin an investigation. In 2007, federal prosecutors prepare an indictment against Epstein, which is held up in the courts for a year. In June of 2008, Epstein pleads guilty to one count of soliciting prostitution and one count of soliciting prostitution from a minor. He is sentenced to 18 months in jail with a secret arrangement with the U.S. Attorney's Office to not be prosecuted for federal crimes. Epstein serves most of his sentence in a work release program that allows him to leave jail during the day. In July of 2009, Epstein is released from jail. 
One month later in August, Google Earth shows that what appeared to be mass graves on the mound have been covered over. In 2013, construction begins on the mound gravesite. By 2017, construction of what appears to be a tennis court is completed. Drone footage shows that the elevation in Google Earth is off. The newly built tennis court is on a flat plain surrounded by a dirt berm. By January of 2018, Google Earth shows that the tennis court has been raised and the earth beneath appears to have been excavated. In November of 2018, the Miami Herald begins publishing a series of articles about the Epstein case, which inspires public interest. In July of 2019, Epstein is charged on federal sex trafficking charges. One month later, the FBI raid the island. During this time, Google Earth shows cloud cover obscuring the view of the mound. On August 10th of 2019, Epstein is reported to have committed suicide in his New York City federal jail cell. The next available image is a month later in September of 2019 and shows that the area on the mound is being used as a parking lot for commercial vehicles. The area is cleared by 2020 and has remained so until today. In a recent video, corporate media propagandist Megyn Kelly claims that we may be hearing from Jeffrey Epstein himself this year. We're not done with Jeffrey Epstein. I can tell you that for a fact. Can't tell you how I know, but I can tell you for a fact, we're going to hear a lot more about Jeffrey Epstein in the coming year. Uh, and you may be even hearing from him directly. More on that as I'm allowed to tell you. While most believe that Epstein was murdered, many believe that he is still alive, claiming that images of his alleged corpse appear to be a different person, that the shape of his nose and ears were different. Reporting for InfoWars, this is Greg Reese. Okay, Deb. Hmm. Fascinating. So did uh, the lady that was yelling at me and the, is she, is she okay? Wasn't yelling. No, huh? Wasn't yelling at all. She was. She was telling me that I disturbed her consumption pleasure. Where? On? In one of our chat rooms that I was looking at. Oh, well, sorry. Yeah, that's okay. We got it straight I didn't away. see that anybody do that at all. They were just confused a little bit about, you know, was this yesterday or today? We got it straight now. There you yeah, go. We got it all. So what do you think away. about that? First of all, I saw that the, the whole Epstein thing is out of control. Can we come back to Epstein a little bit? Cause, uh, can we? Yeah. Do you mind? No. Um, because I want to cover our, our top news headline. Hmm? Okay. Yeah, I do. Um, so upsetting to me and we're going to go to dr judy mikovitz mm -hmm. all right but first i want uh how do i say this how do i say it screaming at a bunch of people that they're going to come and kill that refuse to defend themselves is just seems like a uphill battle, we'll call it. You know what I mean? Mm hmm Remember what I told you one time? I just felt like I almost shut the show down and just went to church. 
Remember what I told you one time we were talking about, uh, we were going through something, I don't know, a story or people were coming after us or something. I don't know. It was quite a trying time. And I told you it was like going up. It's like going up a muddy hill, you know, in boots that are, you know, that are like, when you're sinking up to your kneecaps, right? <laughs> you just can't move. If you've ever done that before, right? Tried to go uphill, a muddy hill. It is, I mean, it's just, it's the most horrible thing ever, right? And sometimes that's what, sometimes that's what life gets like, you know? It's an uphill battle. It is. It is. You're right. Um, so uh, what I'm going to share with you is something to change my perspective on what's going on in Taiwan. Like, why would Xi come to San Francisco and tell Joe Biden I'm going after Taiwan? I mm -hmm. just want you to know that. Why would he do that? Yeah. Why would he? Especially after the welcome he got. I mean, mm. with the Chinese flags and you know, they shut down, they cleaned up San Francisco just for him, right? Yeah. Got rid of all the homeless, cleaned up all the feces on the street. Then I was looking at, this is what I discovered, all right? And another thing, and I, I'm still suffering through this. Uh, I told Nathan last night, I said, I'm going to go do some things, but first I need to go throw up. Okay? <laughs> yeah. Because I studied uh, James Holmes. Okay, the neuroscientist that he and his dad who worked for FICO. All right. And if you don't know who he is, hold on. James Holmes mm -hmm. Sr. Worked on screen flicker technology. Right. They're neuroscientists. And then come to find out James Holmes considered launching a bioweapon. Thank you, Cal. Thank you, Cal. Cal, right. uh, so, congratulations on one twenty twenty four twenty dollar rumble rant. We certainly appreciate thank that. You. Thank you. Thank you so much for your support. Thank you. Mm hmm. I love it, Pete. I find it so interesting. Even though I don't, I don't have any money to invest in what find it interesting i don't know what oh thank you but thank you uh i don't know what you're referring to it i don't know what it means up oh, 50 dollars from bill tennis support pete and deb to the best of your ability it's all equal in the eyes of pete <laughs> thank you thank you so much bill tennis thank you I'm I'm struggling. It's okay. Let, less with the um, stuff, okay. More so with. Thank you, Cal. You know what I think we should do? What? How to comb dog poop out of your dog's tail when he has Alzheimer's and, he's, <laughs> and his tail doesn't work anymore. Uh, yeah, we should do tutorials. He's videos. old, his tail is paralyzed, so we have mm -hmm. to. Yeah. 
I love him. And he's got arthritis so bad it hurts right. him when we pick him up. Watch, in the watch uh, yep. Ongoing. Yeah, that's Cooper. Yeah. All right. Uh, watch this for a second, and it'll be a good uh, lead off. I've discovered this through my conversation with Dr. Judy Mikovits, which you're mm -hmm. going to hear in just a little bit here. Mm -hmm. Here we go. The Defense Ministry denies an allegation that the U.S. asked Taiwan to develop bioweapons. According to a recent report, Taiwan built a high-security P-4 laboratory at Washington's request for the purpose of developing biological weapons. The report also claims that former Premier Su Zintang presided over two secret meetings concerning the project. But Su adamantly denies the claim, saying he was too busy tackling the pandemic to hold secret meetings. Last year, before Dragon Boat Festival, President Tsai Ing-wen inspected Taiwan's only P4 laboratory at the National Defense Medical Center. Now, a report has emerged claiming that the U.S. asked the center to build a P4 lab in order to research and develop biological weapons. The report states that then-Premier Su Zhenchang spearheaded two secret meetings on the matter, codenamed Nanhai Working Meeting. Su rejected the accusation. He said he had been busy with his duties as Premier and his COVID-related work. He said he did not hold any secret meetings, dismissing the report as disinformation. In a rare move, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs lambasted certain media outlets accusing them of misreporting reality to create sensationalistic articles that undermine the government's diplomatic efforts. The Defense Ministry also denounced the bioweapon claims. The claim that the U.S. is pressuring Taiwan to develop biological weapons is untrue. Laboratories are classified based on their biocontainment precautions, ranging from biosafety level 1 to level 4, or P1 to P4. P1 and P2 labs conduct research unrelated to health and diseases and on microbes that cause mild disease, respectively. P3 labs handle serious and potentially lethal diseases, for example, COVID-19. The highest security P4 labs target severe diseases for which there are no vaccines or treatments, such as SARS, which caused an outbreak in 2003. We are currently making plans to establish a new P4 laboratory after its completion it will become a leading facility in the Asia-Pacific region for combating emerging and recurring infectious diseases. Back in 2021, the military had made a statement on the purpose of the P4 lab. Now that attention is back on the lab, it's once again repeating its words. The Defense Ministry denies an allegation that the U.S. asked Taiwan to develop bioweapons, according to a recent... Deb. Yes. All right. When you factor in... How uh, Victoria Newland responded to the 15 bioweapons labs that were listed on the State Department. And then when Russia went in and uh -huh. dismantled them, they were out back burning papers. Right. That's right. Uh, Victoria Newland said, oh, it's just we're just doing it to study, you know, for uh, defensive purposes. OK. And um, uh, then, of course, Barack Obama set up the level four Luger bioweapons uh -huh. facility uh -huh. uh, in Tbilisi, right? Right. Um, Barack Obama and all of these, it, uh, this pedophile network of people that have hijacked our government um, are, are basically 
going around what the government knew was too dangerous in Fort Detrick. There was a scientist who did certain studies. Right. And they were so dangerous. And she was in Fort Detrick. She knew what was being worked on. And her work actually produced that in the wrong hands, produced information, okay, uh, that in the wrong hands would kill people offensively. Mm -hmm. And she said, this is, you know, I'm just going to kind of put this, make this go away. Right. And Fauci said, you give me that paperwork. And right. she said, no. Right. He said, are you telling me you're not going to give me your research work? And she said, absolutely not. I'm not going to give it to you. And he kidnapped her and jailed her. These are facts. Yes. She's one of the top molecular biologists that would not release that information because it was too dangerous. It's immoral. You're not going to be doing any testing in this regard. They seized all of her stuff. They held her and told her husband, you know, there was other uh, paperwork, I guess, um, but extorted, said, you will not get your wife back unless you convince her to tell us where all of her writings are. Um, and he just so happened to have recorded everything uh, and documented everything. Mm -hmm. uh, and in his deathbed confession, why was he in a deathbed confession to begin with? Oh, because they killed everybody around her. Okay. Including up to and including her husband. She gets into some complex stuff, but what I am going to do is I'm going to fast forward you know, to where she really starts hitting. I mean, it's, it's so overwhelming. You guys have to go back. You have to re-listen to what she's saying. Um, because she's not just speaking to you. Okay. You need to listen to her as to the language she speaks. And she's talking to them. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And what she did in this episode right here that you're about to hear. Um... Basically, it was a shot across their bow. I, you know what? Do uh, let me let me just check something. If you guys like what we do, will you consider uh, letting me beg you to push that rumble button? You know, because we want this information to go out. Give don't us we? a thumbs up. Yep. Give us a thumbs up if you like this information. This is so intriguing. Yep. Really. Yep. Here we go. Very passionate interview. Mm -hmm. Get ready. say wow well, because um dr judy mikovitz uh she's uh, we're so honored uh that she's been on the show with me she's helped me in so many ways uh get properly educated um her research materials her reputation is unimpeachable as far as i'm concerned um and her expertise in the topics that we're going to discuss today some of which somebody could say, oh, that's a, we don't talk conspiracy theories. I mean, she's a, she's a scientist. She's had the inside perspective working for 
Anthony being fired by and incarcerated. No, no by, I never worked for Anthony Fauci. By, by, I was just going to say, fi- uh, fired by, uh, incarcerated by right. Anthony Fauci. Incarcerated by Anthony Fauci. So for what reason, we're going to talk about that. But um, uh, D- Dr. Judy, first of all, welcome back. Um, I want to give a lot of everyone knows you, loves you, but for somebody that's has been on planet earth recently and they don't know who Dr. Judy is in their tune into the show. Um, I'm going to start out with your introduction by saying as follows, tell everybody, um, how you came to, um, uh, the business of working for in a government facility, of course, Fort Detrick and working on, uh, gain of function testing that, uh, uh, that we, we hear that term. So I wasn't gain of function testing. It was laboratory work, but you were aware of the gain of function testing that was dangerous in Dietrich. And ultimately, that operation was shut down. Did you have exposure to that? And tell everybody what, you know, what, what your background and, and how you came into contact with this information way back then. Well, unfortunately, it's in all four of our books. So if you give me screen share opportunity, yeah. um, I'll flip through a PowerPoint that I first did in May of 2022. Do you see Crimes Against Humanity? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let me just hit that. I remember so that, that only when, see... when you were out on uh, that particular tour. That's great. I'm glad you put that up. Correct. And that particular tour was supposed to be going after Fauci with Reiner Fulmish, Patrick Wood, me. Well, there was a bad guy in there called Richard Fleming who was bought and paid for and, and actually putting up fraudulent data going after me, going after me in particular and others. So at any rate, this is by the way, you're, you're aware of Reiner. What happened to Reiner Fulmick, right? Correct. Yes. Okay. Good. Um, yeah. Reiner Fulmick. What a, an amazing man. And they kidnapped him in Mexico. Can you imagine? Well, I, the next day I went to get my passport and my lawful passport is Judy Noldy. And I guarantee you, I was shaking in my shoes when I when, when I went in there because, uh, you know, this this is not for the faint of heart. I it, guarantee it certainly is. If now, if you could just so tell, so tell everybody uh, you came into this. Your, oh, so, so this it, it all is it all is right here. Mm-hmm. Our first book, Plague. Yes is my legal defense. Kent Hacken Lively is my lawyer, J.D. Um, when I was kidnapped and held in jail five days in, in um, from November uh, 18, 2011, for what, for what until reason? November 22nd, 2011, I was kidnapped there until my husband ransomed me out. For but what that reason? tells you my entire scientific career. I answered an ad in the Washington Post um, right after May 18, 1980, when I graduated from the University of Virginia, and they were looking for a protein chemists to do fermentation chemistry, that is to ferment and grow um, viruses. 
and um, you know, and and antibiotics. I, I did a lot of natural products, fermentations um, for medicine to use botanicals as medicine. That was my training. We, there wasn't even a biochemistry degree at the University of Virginia when I studied there from 1976 to 1980. That book tells you I grew up um, in Washington, D.C. after my parents' divorce um, when I was 10 years old in 1968. Um, and um, it tells you how um, I went on and, and, and the exact science. The 2017 is the same book only it's the paperback because by then I know at the top it says with new material from Judy Mikevitz PhD there is no Ms. Judy Mikevitz you know there is none that's either my brother's wife or anybody else I'm only Judy Mikevitz PhD or Mrs. Judy Noldy um, prior to and now I'm widow Judy Noldy so they, these books especially ending plague and if if i could tell everybody get the audio version of ending plague they say our names wrong on purpose so nobody will know who these people are but get that book it's the first time frank rossetti ever talked about what happened at fort dietrich this had nothing to do with fauci it had to do with gallo chabner and cancer institute hell-bent on designing viruses poisons to cause cancer and, and kill people quickly. And what they did was they maimed people. They caused chronic diseases. So we did the natural God-given cures. And in order to patent these things, they had to do bioweapons. LAV, lymphadenopathy virus, 1982, it was isolated and manufactured, produced by, by Luke Montagnier in our lab there with, with, with Frank Rossetti. We and, and Luke's, um, Luke's um, MD counterpart, Francois, who also shared the Nobel Prize with him. We, I, my job is to teach them how to grow and purify and, and, and create the cell lines, the manufacturing plants, the tumor cell lines that don't die, that don't die. We manufactured the all viral vaccines in these animal monkey human um, um, aborted human feed, um, fetal cells and those are all non-self we created this explosion in in cancer and neuroimmune disease so by 2019 the key and what COVID was is premeditated murder of everybody they injected without a single placebo-controlled safety study since 1986. Watch com last week with Barbara Lowe Fisher and Dell Bigtree. It's brilliant. It talks about the 1986 act um, where all liability was removed from pharma and placed right on the federal government. And the federal government, and this is what's called vaccine court, the compensation program for the injury. Like corruption, we tell you everything. Now we're going to end it naturally, okay? And I want to make sure that uh, that in this that this segment that we do, you know, this the the, the bulk, the majority of it, I want to lay this out and let everybody know. Um, you were uh, you were arrested and silenced, and the silencing 
and what happened uh, after your release, that was negotiated. That was, uh, from what I'm now understanding very clearly, there was blackmail that took place. We're going to talk about that. That's extortion. Uh, extortion, exactly right. Um, leverage over you. But what was the primary reason that they justified arrest, kidnapping and, and arresting you and holding you? I was a felony fugitive from Fauci. I refused to give up the data. When our October 23rd, 2009 science paper came out, and this is the key, this is why this talk was titled The Fraud Criminally Fraudulent Scientific Journals. And this is why last week was important, the last few weeks in the news with Harvard professor Gay. Oh, okay. Well, Tufts and Columbia and Harvard professors and Yale professors were at the heart of the corruption. They reviewed my, my 2009 science paper. They published an article in the beginning of that, uh, in the, in the 20, October 23rd of, of science. The, the scientist is John Coffin. And John Coffin was the principal in view, reviewer of the paper. And in pandemic indoctrination, you know that he said, if they reviewed that paper, the comedian, he said, if they reviewed the paper, all bets are off. In 2021, when Frank Rossetti and we were finishing the book, Ending Plague, and I, in 2021, there was a movie being made, a documentary about plague of corruption. And in that movie, John Coffin admitted laughing, of course I reviewed the paper, laughing as they spun the literature, knowing full well their biosafety level two unintended release of a biosafety level two virus. Why is a cancer causing virus, murine leukemia virus, why is a virus that spreads like mycoplasma? I mean, in an uninfected flask with a 0.2 nanometer filter on it means 200, you know, a virus is 100 nanometer. There was no mask, 5% CO2. In those incubators, if I put two flasks on top of each other, that virus transmitted in two days to the uninfected culture. They'd done it. They had by 2011 proof that they could spread these viruses through the laboratory without anybody knowing it and then inject them in every shot. But they have to be injected. My PhD work was on latency. They stay silent and they and they do not transmit. That's the brilliant David Martin's work. They are bioweapons. SARS-CoV-2 is not a coronavirus. It's a retrovirus. And they took the literature while I was held silent from 11 to 14, I was a felony fugitive from Fauci. I refused to bow down, be bribed, be extorted, kill me. They took everything. They took my house. They took our money. It's right there in 2014 on the Sunday after Thanksgiving in the Ventura County Star. Why is my pen pointing to covid COVID syncytia, cancer, not not a common cold. Yep. And, cancer, and I wanna, cancer, I wanna, low I wanna, torch. I want to put this, okay, 
This is significant. This article right that here, it. that's your picture. And what is this right here? This is your hand, your pen. And what are you pointing to right here? That's that's a, a multinucleated giant cell or syncytia. Dr. Um, Peter Duisberg called it aneuploidy. That's aneuploidy. They simply changed the word. And see, my name wasn't Mikevitz. They had my my picture, mine alone, on the cover of the Sunday after Thanksgiving Ventura County Star. And they tell you, and John Coffin is named here, and so is Vincent Racchianello, and so is one of the patients, Robin Moulton. We knew they poisoned their families. They killed her father. They killed my mother with Eliquis. And that's what they're doing right now. Oh, giving everybody a fake cancer diagnosis and killing them. So there's the cover of the green cover of the 2014 book. Why was it changed? Why was the cover changed to a nothing bunch of droplets that don't look like anything at all? Oh, because they wanted to try and make sure all of that went away. And when they arrested me and when they fired me, so the Whittemores fired me September 29th, 2011. That was a week after I gave the talk in Ottawa, Canada, where the journal science, John Coffin, um, Tony Komaroff of Harvard, Ian Lipkin, where and John Coffin, all of them, they literally created this narrative and thought if they so they that they could lock down my lab they fired me standing on the street mrs whittemore did annette whittemore fired me because she was using grant funds to fund oh pcr tests and other testing to show people they had xmrv and which cytokine storm was associated with covid how did i know how do i know the cytokine storm of Ebola. Oh, the 2014 Ebola that killed 21,000 Liberians to cover up William Thompson's confession at the CDC. Oh, yeah. Wow. Why is that in the paper? That was 2014. November 23rd, 2014. 2014. There it is, folks. November 23rd, 2014. And the, uh, what is this, Ventura Star? Is that right? Ventura County Star. Yeah. Wow. Okay. And, and they're telling you exactly what to think about our work. Oh, because the book came out, and that was my legal defense. Thank you, Kent. She taped every word of it. I handed that to the DOJ, to the FBI, to the Ninth Circuit Court, to Troy Flake, yeah, was the assistant attorney general in Reno, Nevada. I handed that to him, a hard drive, in May of 2014, mm. when Frank Rossetti was forced out of the National Cancer Institute. And he, that's the last chapter of Plague of Corruption. That's why Bobby's brilliant forward in Plague of Corruption, because he said to me I, in October of 2019, I was nervous because the book should have been out a long time ago in the summer. I saw the day that they stole it off the the internet when I emailed it to my dear friend Joe Oppenheim who's a scientist they're all pictured in these books and they killed them all 
They killed the lab workers. My office made of 15 years had five different types of cancer and died before she was 60. My postdoctoral mentor, David Dursey, who did molecular cloning of these things. I made the first infectious molecular clone of HTLV-1. Why 12 years after it was manufactured from a guy with cancer named Charles Robinson? Why? Oh, because it kept popping out of the vector, meaning we couldn't make an infectious molecular clone. Well, the infectious molecular clone of XMRVs, Derisi and Silverman, UCSF, oh, and a little, a little grant funding from Abbott Labs. Oh, now they're AbV. Oh, and a little Pfizer problem with Upjohn and me when they were making their GMO poison growth hormones in cows. And we all know why everybody's fat, and it's not our behavior. It's the molecular, it's a genetically modified food and, and, and poisons. And they injected our animals with all of these things too. So it is and always was infection by injection. So the good news for your listening audience is stop. If the FDA says it, do the opposite. Mm. APO is not FDA approved. It does not meet the 2004 FDA Botanical Drug Guidance Act. See, I made these drugs and I know. And that's why that picture is 2006. Why is that picture 2006? Because we were showing the natural products, how to cure disease, how ivermectin works, how ceramin works, a reverse transcriptase inhibitor. The first publication was 1960. That's why I show you Magic Johnson. Why did Magic Johnson test positive? That means antibody positive. That means he's immune. They're flipping around these tests. This is this is so criminal. And 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 the band played on. And it, I mean, it's just silence equals death. This is the the grace and the gift of God and Mickey Willis and everybody else who stepped up there like you and your team in 2012 and never gave up listening to me as I try to explain this. You couldn't possibly explain this because it's the lie that's so big. The truth about cancer, 2019, October. 12. Look at my talk. It's detailed in the first chapter of the second half of Ending Plague. And what was in my talk? Oh, look at this. Here's John Coffin. He put an accompanying article in the Science Journal, the same journal our paper came out. A new virus for old diseases and then talked about chronic inflammation. And, and on the left-hand side, the July 22nd, 2009, we submitted our science paper May 4th, May 6th, one of those, yeah, whatever it was. Yeah, sure, if you don't mind me asking, that's uh, 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 that's Ty Bollinger, right? Uh, Correct. Ty and Charlie. And, and what did Charlie. they do? They silenced them because Dr. Daniel Newsom and the company's organics with two X's, they were making supplements and, and, and food and showing you through all their work how to use food as medicine. They were doing what we were doing with all their brilliance. And, and, and again, the government went after them and created a rip. So, yes, in, in Anaheim, California, Bobby Kennedy was at the meeting, and so was Del Bigtree at the Truth About Cancer, October 12th of 2019. 
and I showed you every bit of this. Oh, a new disease. This is XMRV2. This is Omicron. This was announced by Gary Owens, a cardiologist at the University of Virginia, November 10th, 2009. Functional forgeries, plagiarism. Look at the look at the um, the kids with autism. This was a this was September 7, 2010. Look at the families of the XMRVs and mom with lymphoma and then chronic fatigue syndrome. Look at ITP. Look at mantle cell lymphoma. Look at myelodysplasia. Look at thymoma. They told us the only XMRV was the infectious clone called VP62, which was a Frankenstein clone. It was made from biopsies from three different men, and it's in all our book. Go look at Joe DeRisi's TED Talk. Joe DeRisi at UCSF. Remember, this all started in California when Tony Fauci said women except for prostitutes who actually are women, couldn't get HIV AIDS. Look at ending plague in the Institute of Medicine, the Institute of Medicine, which used to be called the National Academy of Sciences, which John Coffin is a member, which means this is an ethical violation. All of this is an ethical violation to the point of you, it makes what Professor Gay did look like child's play. Yeah, look at her. Who and why? That was the first slide or maybe the second of my talk on, on October 12, 2019. Agency heads are scared to death if XMRV works out. What do they mean works out? Means there's a lot of variants and some of them cause autism and some of them cause ALS and Parkinson's disease. And some of them lie indolent until you get hit on the head enough. To, to destroy you, they cause you to, to go into rage, into psychosis. There's no such thing as mass formation psychosis. They injected the disease-causing entity. There's no such thing as chronic Lyme disease. It's HIV, and it always was. It was called neuroaids, but Fauci had a little problem. He said women couldn't be infected unless they're prostitutes. You know, and Frank said, he's like, oh, man, they're human. All animals have retroviruses. Fauci told, Coffin told Fauci, I mean, Coffin told Frank Rossetti in 1975, not bothering to look for human disease-associated retroviruses because they don't exist. Well, we have an entire immune system, a virome that protects us all the way back to snake venom. That's Syncytin is what you're looking at in that picture. Syncytia, S-Y-N-C-Y-T-I-N, fuse cells together so the message of the spike protein can pass from cell to cell, cell-associated versus cell-free transmission. We did every bit of that in our science paper. How can I have no PCR product here in Patient number 1118, look how much spike its envelope 
look how much spike protein is cell free in that human being's blood. They were variants all along. There was far more than one strain and this is the problem the variant tells you the parasite because your immune system responds this is so criminal and look at it here's the paper that Oops. they let gary okay. owens publish and i'm going to say let gary owens publish can i back up just one second here why is California to Reno? Why is California so important uh, in this 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 thing? This criminal conspiracy? Why? Well, California is ground zero. UCSF, Stanford. We know. You know, we know what happened at Stanford. We know how they shut down. You know. Um, we, we know how they shut down Stanford. They, they caused AIDS. They killed Mickey Willis's brother and his mother with the hepatitis B vaccine. HIV never was LAV. That's why I showed you that. And silence equals death. Well, I might well have a big mouth, but um, my mom taught me silence equals death. She's a Cherokee, or was. This was the LAV isolation. This electron microscope was not HIV. They, I couldn't get the red mark out of there, or I would have fixed that that picture. But I'm trying to show you how the literature, the scientific literature is criminally fraud. And the gatekeepers on the scientific literature are the, the opinion papers like this. This was our paper in that journal. It was submitted May 4th, 2009. We had the July 22nd invitation only meeting right there. Look at all the names. All of those people knew exactly what was going on and who was named in that newspaper article in Ventura in 14 when I did what they told me to do, talk to nobody but my lawyer or my husband or the next time they would kill me. That's what they told David Noldy. My, my name is Noldy. They, 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 they kidnapped David Mikovits and murdered him in that hospital and murdered him December 1st, 2021, in order to try and put the final nail in my coffin, John Coffin. But it isn't happening because you got an ego and, and we've got the film of him admitting on film. And many, many, many lawyers know it. Many, many lawyers know it. They censored the film. You know, it has to be censored or a whole bunch of doctors are going to kill themselves. But Bobby knows and Trump knows. And, and that's why they have to be kept off the ballot, because we'll go after every one of them. Every one of them. These are, so, this is, you know, what are these diseases? So, you know, you know, you're stating here that President Trump knows about everything that you're talking about. He's now been made fully aware. He knew our book in the beginning. He talked a great length to, to Mickey Willis. He's never talked to me, but he knows. And so does Bobby. Bobby wrote the beautiful review. Look at the last chapter of Plague of Corruption. It says the last chapter in the book on August 29th of 2019. I started writing Plague of Corruption August 29th of 2014. 14. You know why? Because that's when I saw William Thompson confess. That's when I saw a page of his notebook. And I called Ken Eck and Lively. And the page of his notebook from Brian Hooker, 
And this is Bobby Kennedy and Brian Hooker's latest book. And we've got all the data, California, because that was the gays. That's how they killed the gays the first time. They made them get, if they were in a um, susceptible group, gay men, IV drug users and prostitutes. So why were athletes injected with these deadly viruses? So we could kill the best and the brightest. And on the first day of life, do you know that same hospital, that protocol killed my husband? That same hospital went two by two with the nurses in the 90s and forced when, when parents didn't give consent for their newborn to get those shots, the, the HBV shot, they forced two by two the nurses. If you didn't shoot them, if you didn't inject them, when their parents didn't give them permission, then, the, then you lose your job. And the nurse told me that, thank God, after our book came out. And, and we've got all the proof. That's the hospital, St. John's in Oxnard, injected without parents' knowledge, a black part of California, Oxnard, injected every single one of them. Well, that says no biopsy, and that okay. says no autopsy. Now you're saying that they and uh, they they were delivered. They were intending to kill the gays. Is that correct? And give and spread AIDS and make it like it's our behavior and make it look like black men and athletes are promiscuous. Look what they just said. Why did you inject athletes? They're not gay men, IV drug users, or prostitutes. So why did they? Magic Johnson was engaged. You got to kill the best and the brightest. They experimented in Dartmouth, those biosafety level two labs. Watch the high wire from last week by unintended release we'll go back to what this was about the wuhan yeah, oh they shipped it over there it wasn't unintended they put it in a fedex box because usps is unlawful isn't it you know i'm, I'm just telling you these people planned this and they got caught in 2009 h1n1 Ebola of 14. The book is called Called for Life by Kent and Amber Brantley. Ventura, California, the Christian missionary that stopped Fauci and Obama from killing and the CDC from killing, they already killed 21,000 Liberians. But the Dr. John who headed up that Christian team, and he's right here in Ventura, and he heads up Ventura County Healthcare. He could tell that the Ebola was aerosolized. Who did that work? I did in the 90s. I showed you the cytokine storm of Ebola and published it. It was in my Academy of Nutritional Medicine talk that I gave on April 5th, 2020. I showed all of this. I For more than 12 hours, James Grunvig and I sat there 
with the Epoch Times scientists. And if you look at the end of Joshua Phillips' film, it was released on April 8th before our paper came out. Why did they hold the publication of Plague of Corruption until April 14th, 2020, when it was in press October 12th of 2019? Well, you had a whole lot of swamp cleaning to do, didn't you? Because we had to take, you know, this whole thing has to go down. The 1986 Act, all liability, all products, and all informed consent. Informed consent, not another needle, not another injecting, not another pill. Don't go in a drugstore with a pharmacy in it. See, it's on all Americans right now. I can do no more. I've done everything I possibly can, and I talk, you know, twice a day, every day. I can do no more. All I can do is try to get somebody to understand. I handed Troy Flake in the entire DOJ of Nevada the hard drive on um, March 16th, 2017. We sat in Jason Chabot's office in Congress. The we is Del Bigtree, Bobby Kennedy, Mom, uh, Michelle Ford, Riza Islam, Paximune, not Paxlovid, that's poison. That's ivermectin with fluoride. Paximune is type 1 interferon from cows. It should have stopped all of this. And the FDA stopped us from giving, keeping our, our animals and our food supply healthy. All of this is and always was genetically modified is not of God. That's why the first slide in this talk was thanks to my pastor, Rob McCoy. Because this is, he handed me when I did, couldn't understand how to put the cookies on the, on the bottom shelf, which is explain it simply, according to Rob. He said, Judy, have you ever seen Darwin's thesis? Yeah, I, said, well, I thought, well, yeah, you know, the origin of the species by means of natural selection. They want you all to think it's natural. They, they naturally evolved. Yeah, over 1,200 years because you put it all in a bat cave and called it the CIA in Reston, Virginia. You know, it says, or the preservation of favored races in the struggle for life. Wait a minute, we're made in the image of God. There is no struggled life, and there's no favored race. You don't get to kill the black people so you can live. You don't get to spare Where is that written, what you just uh, recited? It's right there. Or the preservation of favored races in the struggle for life. That's Charles Darwin's original page. It came from Texas, and Rob McCoy gave it to me. And on that day in 2022, I said, of course, of course. And all we had to do was go back again through all the documents. The last chapter of Plague of Corruption, we saved all the samples. We saved every single manufacturing plant. I've got every cell line. I've got the antibodies. And, and, and we shipped those along with the hard drive, along with everything. Two, we gave them to the Ninth Circuit Court in Reno, Nevada. That's the, how, the who and the why. The who and the why was agency heads are scared to death if XMRV works out. Mm. What does it mean works out? Here they are. They're at the NIH Criminal Center 
in 2011, oh, right after they jailed me, kidnapped me, held me political J6 style, and, and threatened my husband. Find the ransom and deliver it. Never say another thing or you never see her again. You know, this is the United States of America, not the United States of Corporation. Agency heads. Who's who is Suzanne Vernon? Oh, she was she was the lobbyist in a patient committee. She worked 22 years or 21 years for the CDC, and she conveniently left. And Ian Lipkin, oh, Ian Lipkin got $34 million what, what for this happened, study. I need to ask, what happened when you gave this evidence to the Reno, uh, the federal court, I assume? Nothing. Hmm. They covered it up. Troy Flake, April French, Mike Solari of the FBI, April um, French was also in the FBI. Nothing. Hundreds of thousands of pages of documents, just like Senator William Posey, who covered up the 100,000 pages of documents in 2014. And that's why Obama and Fauci had to kill 21,000 Liberians with their little vaccine, that, that, that their little Ebola outbreak came straight out of Fort Detrick. Because I know the cytokine storm, I made the cell line and I published it. And I published it in the 90s. So they had to fire me on September 29th. That's the last day of the fiscal year. I'm getting of 20, uh, 2011. And I'm getting, and I'm get, I've got, you know, lots of grants in, in only five years, start to finish from conception, from an idea in my head. I co-founded, built the labs, built the safety level in to isolate these viruses and associate them with the disease. Five years start to finish. Not only had a diagnostic test for any variant in any stage of the disease, here, this is what they did. And you know, had, had the cures, because we know the cause. You can't inject animal mRNA, DNA, and protein. Not since 1986 did they ever clean up a single vaccine. Did they ever obey the law? Did they ever do a placebo-controlled study? This, there's not a warp speed to science. It takes decades to get something approved as a drug. You test everything you, you add to a, to a cocktail. This is a boatload of mouse viruses put into the blue vat of monkey viruses and injected directly into the most vulnerable at the most vulnerable time in their life. When epigenetics, when your epigenetics resets, that's the X chromosome, that's the protection of your genome with your God-given virome. Here's the paper that I was looking for all day. Oh, retrovirology, September 22nd, 2009. What did I show you? I just showed you September 10th. Um, oh, when we in 2000 and 
at September 10th in 2010, when we had the first invitation only workshop to show all of this. We, we had XMRVs across the world. I have every one of these documents, every one of them. I have the abstracts. You see, they thought they got everything when they locked down my lab on September 29th, fired me. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, fortunately, my husband's a personnel director. So he said, you get her to say why she fired you. She fired me because she was irritated um, because I told her to go out to yourself. Um, you know, I'm tired of criminals whose kids got well and millions were poisoned. Kids got well on oral therapies. We have oral immunizations. Okay. We have all kinds of immunizations and the taxpayers paid for it. All right. How, you know, unintended spread of a biosafety level two recombinant retrovirus. No, the XMRVs we isolated were not spread by a recombinant virus. They were injected. We never did inject the plasmid. People don't have to worry about their molecular contaminants. This is what McKernan shows on the back slide. Dr. McKernan is just You're showing saying, you. Can I, can I ask you a question? You say unintended yeah. release, but it seems like all of their work is, is very evil and intentional. Uh, they want to they kill people. Why do you keep saying unintended related? Well, correct. And look at where this paper came from. Germany. We just talked about what happened to Reiner. We were showing everybody this in this Crimes Against Humanities tour. Germany. Yeah, we know what they did. And we have the cures. You know, it, it's, it's not unintended. And it wasn't a recombinant virus. They were natural isolates and they have to be injected. David Martin is exactly right. They must be injected. They are bioweapons. They spread through families and cultures. Vitamin D is not something you drink. Vitamin D is something the sun you make, your own body makes it. If a black person drinks vitamin D, they'll shut down their immune system. If white people do eventually, they'll shut down their immune system. There is nothing, nothing in medicine or the literature today that is anything other than criminal fraud. Look at the date of that. And they held our paper until August, I mean, sorry, until October 23rd of 2009. While they published this garbage as quickly as they could, they made SARS-CoV-2 in 2004. They made the Flunami, the pandemic strain of influenza in 2004 in government, U.S. government labs right there at Fort Detrick. How did those viruses get into a bat cave in a paper published, submitted October 31st of 2011, when they thought they had everything out of my lab and they could just tell you a different story. They're covering up their liability. They're liable for every single vaccine injury since 1986. Um, look at the Look at the foreword in our first book, Plague, brilliant by Hillary Johnson. It says, a disease to affect 
the economy of nations. In the UK, it was Jonathan Stoy who co-authored that one new virus, How Many Old Diseases? Oh, Jonathan Stoy, a little welcome trust? Oh, oh yeah. And your student, now a professor, was the second reviewer on our paper. We know every single one of them, and they admitted it. They admitted this cover-up when our blood supply was contaminated for 30 years. Magic Johnson never got AIDS because Magic Johnson never got another shot. It says in 2016 in, 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 in a slide I adapted, I keep trying at the Clay Clark meetings to show you. Every one of those are on our website at the real Anthony, uh, sorry, the real drjudy.com. But it shows you the criminal fraud in, 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 and what they want you to think in this literature. Any, any paper that opens up with SARS-CoV-2, the causative agent of COVID, and the vaccine saved millions, every single author on that paper should be arrested and put in jail. It's criminal fraud. SARS-CoV-2 didn't cause anything. It was injected in every polio vaccine since 2004. Four. Why do you think everybody tested positive? But they wouldn't test positive if they spit for the PCR test in a cup, like I did in those studies, in that science paper. That science paper was the best description of the first ever isolation of a new family of retroviruses. And they're the only family that infects every cell of the body, including the sperm and the egg. And they're called gamma retroviruses. And hey, you know, all you have to do to cure all of this, to cure the cancer, we've got the patent for the cure too. That's a company called Omnitour Genius in a botanical, botanical drug guidance act product line that I consulted with. I consulted with them from 2005 until 2000, um, until 2019 when, you know, when all of this stopped because vaccine court didn't have a single case after COVID because that now they had to cut it all down. We in plague of corruption, you will see our credentials and what we did. Cytokine storm, cytokine storm, cytokine storm. We showed you every single one of the causes of these diseases and how we could stop every single one. I don't care which parasite it is. God's got this. He gave us an immune system, and all we have to do is use it. And our brains. Stop injecting anyone. And never should anybody be injected on the first day of life. I'm angry. Those parents have no idea what happened to their kids. No idea. They were lied to. When you watch these are, fraudulent TV commercials. Are, are they continuing this propagation, just continuing in these labs, um, uh, you yes. know, worldwide, you know, Ukraine? Uh, I mean, they pretty much offshored this work, correct? The same fact. Correct, but it's right here in our laboratories in Stanford. They're not biosafety level two. Our kids, there was an outbreak in Dartmouth. These kids are in institutions, their lives were destroyed. At our colleges, at Harvard, at Columbia, these postdocs, these students, these, these MDs, working in these labs in order to get in medical school, they're all sick. Because now they're all, there's no such thing as an asymptomatic carrier. Your infection is not your disease. It's the expression of it. 
They hurt my own family. They continue to hurt my own family. And we're kept from the cures when we have them. And that's the problem. Every biosafety level two, Harvard, Columbia, Yale, Fort Detrick. Thank God I took the deadly retrovirus in 1983 because I couldn't stand to count cal colonies in TGF beta assays. You know, it's all in our book, Ending Play. If you listen, if everyone in earshots just sits down and listens to that book. Don't worry about how they say the names. You just won't know who the people are. And that was intentional. You know, that book was censored since 2021. Bobby Kennedy's book, The Real Anthony Fauci, came out after that. And it had no mention of the XMRVs. Notice how COVID is XMRV. You know, unintended spread of a biosafety level two. I made this slide. Actually, Kent Heckenlively made this slide. And we presented it in Autism One. Mike Hugo, Brian Hooker, and I presented in, in Autism One in May in Chicago in 2016, a study in corruption. Brian Hooker, me, and Mike Hugo. We showed exactly what the government did. This, the government is spreading this through our universities. If parents don't hear me and take these kids out of this scam called these universities, get them out of there. They're killing your kids. Wow. And your grandkids, get them out of there, and 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 don't pay taxes, don't pay health insurance, don't pay. This is criminally fraudulent literature coming from our money. Those people are making nine hundred thousand dollars a year. Oh, go go find out what John Calkin. Just take the just take the the FBI. Is there anybody left? Just go round up John Calkin, Ian Lipkin and arrest them and charge them with murder. And Michael Bush, too. Michael Bush, the head of the Blood Systems Research Institute in California. It was the blood supply in California. California, California, Newsom, the gays. Remember the movie, Plandemic, you know, a scholar, you know, and, and, and a scholar's obligation in an age of corruption is, is the title of Frank Rossetti's book. And a scholar's obligation is to not only produce the knowledge, knowledge, it's not a theory and it's not my opinion. A PhD is fact, they're the law I was held there. And he didn't know who I was, where I was because they had no Noldy anywhere. They, there was no Mikevitz. I mean, this is the whole thing. They went after Mikevitz. Um, and when I left the cult, of scientism when I got married October 7, 2000. I didn't leave the National Cancer Institute until May 11, 2000 and, um, and one. And so that, that intellectual property belonged to um, the National Cancer Institute, Mikevitz and Rossetti. And that's why the Whittemore Peterson Institute had to get the National Cancer Institute off that patent uh, for the PCR detection. It's the test that's all the money. So my David, when he ransomed me out of jail, I was pretty mad at him for the whole 11 years. Yeah, there's the patent, April 6, 2010, for the variance of the XMRV, scroll to the bottom. What that means is I know the spike protein. SARS-CoV-2 is an XMRV. It's part retrovirus, HIV, XMRV, and SARS. We know that. And, 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 and David Martin says this very well. The variants, I know the envelope sequences. Ah, but right after I got out of jail in 2011, I was forced to go to Nevada 
and turn myself in for being in possession. I was in possession of nothing. They held a trial while I was held in jail. You know, this is all Sears. It's all of it. We know the spike proteins. We know the sequence of the poison. We know every single one of them. We know the parts that they changed. This was my whole life's work. So David, I, I got mad at him most, most of the 11 years or so after I was released November 22nd of 2011 and before they killed him almost to the day in 2021. Um, the, uh, it's, it's, it's a great God story, but um, in the hospital, David, you know, Jesus showed up, David came back to life. We just loved him back to life. It's a great story. But um, uh, he, uh, one of the last things he said was, of course, I made a copy. What do you think? I'm an idiot. He was the personnel director from hell. He was good. <laughs> so he conned me. Um, but I, I would have hit him when he was dying. <laughs> so I'm like, and I just like, you're kidding and I get, I get to Godspeak Church where behind three locked doors are all the boxes because I needed security. And so Godspeak Church gave me a home for all of this important data that nobody will ever get to. I opened one of the boxes and there was a note. He used to call himself Huggy Bear. So there was a note that said, they told me not to keep a copy. And I looked at the rest of the box and it was the originals. I have the originals of everything can prove beyond a shadow of a doubt, including everything. It's, it's all right there. And, and, and we've got it in the, we've got them in the freezers. We've got them in the labs. We had, he said, you know, and, and so my David always does exactly what, you know, he's a man of integrity. He made a vow. And he kept that vow. He ransomed me out of jail. And we got 11 more years together or I would have been killed by the Fauci's and the, the, the team, you know, Whittemore and Reed. That, you know, it's, it's all in our you books. They tried really hard Reed, to kill us. Reed, Harry Reed was involved in this. And Absolutely, beyond a shadow of a doubt. He and the, he and the Clintons, that's why I keep going to, to, to Nevada. The Ninth Circuit Court, who went after Trump, the Ninth Circuit Court. The Ninth Circuit Court knew damn well what was going on. Harvey Whittemore, the lobbyist, you know, there it is. And Perkins Coy saying, oh, hey, by the way, you're not allowed to. Thank you for your check, dear friends. Mr. Gonna, David Noldy. But we're going to have David to split Nolde this wrote up because check. we're going to basically, on your behalf, split up that money because it's a violation of law. Correct. Wow. Thank you, Perkins Coy. You know who they are, right? Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're the Russia, Russia, Russia collusion, Hillary Clinton. Perkins. Can't do anything about it at this point in time, but no. hopefully, um, wow. hopefully. Uh, again, okay. um, I, I, I know, I know Bobby has a hard drive. I, I, I know where, I mean, all the, the government has the hard drive. Just go find Troy Flake. He was the assistant attorney general in 2017. We had a meeting with him and half the government. There were 10 people around that table and they knew everything I showed them about the tax fraud of Harvey Whittemore. We have, we have a FCA. I filed a RICO case with Mike Hugo writing most of it. 
in in on in November of 2014. They kept it under seal until 19 before deciding I wasn't a whistleblower. Under seal for six years, you know, and so they could create all this five and a half years. I couldn't even say I had a case or my lawyer and I would have been held in contempt of court. Sealed documents. They thought they would all go away. But, you know, but God has a sense of humor. <laughs> my David's the best in the world as far as, as a personnel made, director. Have you made this, uh, what you said about what David told you and the, 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 the file boxes, have you made that public before? No. Well, it it is actually in I've I've, I've talked obtusely with um, Polly Tommy on Christmas Eve. I was on the show with children self-defense i i wait um the one time i was going to reveal all of it i tapped bobby and just said bobby can i copy you on this email and he said judy less is more he said okay you can copy me but less is more so what i did was never send that email so i i listen when somebody tells me and 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 um we don't talk to each other i rarely text bobby i knew i needed it when david died and he got the autopsy from hell proves no matter how sick you are no matter how sick you are you weren't spreading any rna viruses what's the central dogma of molecular biology that dna is written into mrna in the nucleus it is exported to the cytoplasm where it's post-translational it post-translationally modified and transcribed 90 percent of the mrna is never translated into proteins. When a man is dead, he's making no more RNA. You can show the test is positive. I interviewed the coroner or whoever it was, the pathologist in Los Angeles. Couldn't get an autopsy in Ventura. It was illegal. I said to Bobby, I'm not leaving this room because my husband's best friend was a mortician. And I had control of that body <laughs> for every second. I, and, and, I mean, God is good all the time. Oh, yeah, and so yeah, at I the end you. of the day, I, it, it's now written in a document exactly what happened in an insurance claim which I filed on December 1st um, and um, please don't show the names on that form because we um, we uh, when when um, Rob, when when Pastor Rob McCoy had the conversation, um, the only thing he was asked was not to make it political. And so Judy Noldy is not a political human being. Um, and um, but the Mike of its name is not a.